Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock, your time check. Brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker, and it's great to have you with us this morning on 101 ESPN. Michelle, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm. Uh, th- this is like better than a hump day, because hump day was kind of yesterday. Oh, so, yeah. yeah we, we've kind of passed hump day, and this is like our Thursday, yeah, and tomorrow will be like our Friday. It doesn't then, feel like we have Friday off, though. It doesn't, because we really don't, because we've done such a magnificent job in the first two months of this show. And actually, on Saturday, it'll be two months that this show has been in existence, wow. Character and Smallman. And we've had a lot of cool guests. So on Friday, we're going to provide you with a best of show, because we've had some best stuff. We've had some great stuff. Yeah. A lot of great guests, a lot of great discussion, some debate. Yep. Uh, and I'll be tuned in to listen to us. Yeah, me too. On yeah, we'll, we'll self scout. Oh, yeah, we should self scout. That's for kind of pulling the, the curtain back. Mm-hmm. That's one of the worst things about this industry is when you have to do listening sessions and listen to yourself talk. That's the worst. The worst. I mean, think about it. Anybody out there, if you've heard yourself on a voicemail or, or you hear an audio recording of yourself, you hate listening to yourself. Right. Imagine listening to eight minutes, eight to ten minutes of yourself. Yeah. It's terrible. Or three hours. Or three hours. And oh, then yeah. I have to listen again. And again. <laughs> and again. <laughs> Not really. I wonder how far we could get in. If you put us in a room and we had to listen to ourselves, how far we would actually make uh, it. Before we're allowed to turn it off, that'd yeah. be interesting to know. Yeah. We'll figure that out. No, we won't. No, yeah, we won't. Probably not. Jay Delsing's going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Uh, our friend, Jay Delsing Golf, of course, Sunday mornings here on 101 ESPN. And I was talking to him last night about how well golf is doing and getting back on the course. And we'll compare it to other sports and their players to other athletes. Jeremy Rutherford from... The Athletic will join us at 9.30. Ordinarily, we have the Blues booth with Darren Pang at 8.15. Pangers playing on a golf course today where they don't allow cell phones, which I'm totally appreciative of. And so we got that word. So we'll hear and talk some hockey at 8.15. Uh, must be a nice course. I would say so. If you don't allow cell phones. So yeah. good for Panger. No doubt about it. Meanwhile... We're trying to get things started here with all sports, but one sport that we aren't trying to get started, Michelle, is minor league baseball. And they announced yesterday that they had to cancel the season, and I totally get it. I, I don't think they have much choice to get to cancel the season. And you think about it, if they were able to get started when Major League Baseball starts on Friday, you would have August, and then your season would be over. So it's not worth it to play a month of baseball. It's not. And if you read a lot of the articles, the information out there, this is a fan driven. That's how they make their revenue type situation. And I don't really see a way in which, especially with cases spiking in so many different places across the country, that they could really fill the stadiums in the ways that they need to. And there are a couple of guys that the Cardinals don't have on their 60 player pool, notably Nolan Gorman and Matthew Libertor. This will be, for lack of a better term, a wasted year for those players in terms of their baseball development. Which is a tough pill to swallow for in a lot of ways. If you're them, if you're the Cardinals, I just I wonder if Major League Baseball needs to take 
a complete deep dive examination of the construct of the minor league system, of just baseball in general. You and I were talking off air yesterday, and I said this in an email last night. When I look at the the minor leagues, I think that that is part of the reason that baseball is a difficult choice for a lot of young elite talent. And while I love minor league baseball, I love I love the games. I understand the feeder system, the development system. If you're an elite athlete in high school and you play football and you play baseball, the lore of being able to go to college and then maybe get a contract right away in the NFL or the NBA and other sports is very desirable versus baseball where you have to go to this minor league system. You have to ride the bus. You're not going to make any money. We've heard story upon story about how difficult it is to be in the minor leagues. I wouldn't pick baseball unless it was my only option from a sports perspective. And we have an apples to apples comparison. Look at Kyler Murray. Yes. Top 10 pick in MLB and the number one overall pick, obviously, in the NFL. But there was no way he was going to be able to get the kind of money or the instant gratification that he got from the NFL. And when you talk about the system, perhaps a deep dive is why MLB has decided to cut 42 teams and get players to the majors more quickly. Rather than have guys linger for a few years and then cut them, uh, they're going to have a lot less players, a lot less teams now. And perhaps they, with their algorithms, have determined, hey, this group of players is never going to make it anyway, so why should we even be bothering paying them? It's a good, yeah. I, I really hope that they would figure out a way moving forward to make it more beneficial in a lot of different ways. Yeah. You know, from a player perspective, mm-hmm. from from a money perspective. Well, Steve Carlton told me one time, he said, I would go and coach in the minors, but they don't pay anybody there. He said, why do you think it is that Major League Baseball has their best and most expensive coaches at the Major League level? Shouldn't your best and most expensive coaches be teaching the young guys that you have the highest investment in? That's a great question and a great point. Yeah, but that's why he never wanted to coach in the minors because you make $28,000 a year or something. <sighs> and it th- th- there's not a lot of end game success when you're doing that either. You might have a couple of guys that make it to the majors if you're down at A-ball. So there's not a lot of end game success. Meanwhile, Jeff Passan of ESPN talked about the idea of cutting this minor league season. It's not a surprise, Kevin, but it's still sad. And it's sad not just for the players who aren't getting to play, for the fans who aren't getting to watch minor league games across the country this year, but for the 160-plus teams that are wondering, what is our future exactly? I mean, these are all small businesses that have been absolutely waylaid by the pandemic. And while Major League Baseball was hoping to cut around 40 teams and take the minor league system down to about 120 affiliates, at this point, the business future of some of these organizations is really up in the air, and we don't know if they're going to be back at all going forward. If Major League Baseball wants to maintain that pipeline, wouldn't you think the business of Major League Baseball is going to have to throw a lifeline to Minor League Baseball? Sure, with with an infusion of capital, I would imagine, right? Right. You'd think that that would be the case. You'd hope. But... As we've seen with major league owners, they really don't like to give up much money. I was just going to say, we we know <laughs> that they're tight on money. Uh, but if you're looking at minor league baseball, they're not getting the TV rights. Like I said, they have the uh, their main source of revenue as having fans in the yeah. stands. And unless they get some sort of 
of money given to them. I don't know what's going to happen to to these clubs and these businesses. Meanwhile, the NBA is heading into their bubble, and they're going to be playing games before you know it. At least we hope they'll be playing games before you know it. And there is a boss for Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. Here's Woj. Give the NBA credit for this. And I think Adam Silver has used this word. Like, you have got to be humble in your approach here because the virus is in charge. And there's never been a sense around the NBA or I think even a cockiness that they're so sure that this is going to work. They talk about the idea that the bubble, if it gets infected with viruses, there's going to come a point where this grand experiment could fall flat. They know that. They know what's on the line here. And this is, this is a tremendous risk that everybody is still taking. My question would be, Michelle, is if everybody is being tested every single day, the only people that could possibly infect a player or a team would be the Disney employees that are actually getting the opportunity to go outside and then come in and work. And there are very, very few of those. And they have to be tested on a regular basis as well. It seems like it's going to be very difficult, although this has been an insidious uh disease, but it seems like it's going to be hard for COVID-19 to make its way into this bubble. It really does. When you think about the consistency of tests, the uh, width of tests, the fact that everyone there, including the people that are going to be coming in from the outside, are going to be tested, I find it hard to view a pathway for this virus to get in. But again, like you just said, we can't predict the virus. So while I want to say it sounds kind of like a foolproof system, we know that that's a short-sighted thing to say because it's likely that someone is going to test positive at some time. And everybody's going to deal with that. And the NBA already had at least 13, right? Right. Of the 302 that tested positive. Baseball, we've seen it with Philadelphia. We've seen one here in St. Louis. We don't know who it is. But multiple people have tested positive in this sport. Same thing with football. And the same thing with hockey. And rather than being afraid of it now, it seems like the sports at least have a a mechanism to deal with the positive tests. And they know that it, at least to this point, for young athletes, it has not been a death sentence. To this point, I mean, God forbid, you you wouldn't want to roll the dice or take any chances on that. Yeah, and, and... that it, that's a game changer, obviously. That means everybody has to shut down. Wouldn't you think that if there's one athlete in any sport, whether it's college football or pro football, whatever the sport might be, if one person loses their life because of the virus in the sports world, whether it's in an NBA bubble or an NHL hub city or Major League Baseball where they're kind of going about their business, but if one person dies of COVID-19, one athlete, it's got to be over for all sports. Has to be. Until there's a vaccine, right? Right. Which is not good. No, it's not. But think about that conversation we just have. If one person dies, it's done. But then you have to wonder, is the risk really even worth it? If that's the conversation you're going to have. Right. It's, I think it's a risk that clearly they're willing to take. But if you're the player, if you're the player's family, no. And you look at the, the guys that are not going in now, it's not worth it to them. It's not, but not only to the player and to the player's family and friends, obviously, but to the league as a whole. Yeah, you you take a big hit, no doubt about it. One other thing, Michelle, is there any way that you can have a happier Bobby Bonilla day than Bobby Bonilla? I don't think it's possible that anybody has a happier July 1st than Bobby Bonilla. Every year, 
$1.19 million. In 2001, the Mets, at the behest of owner Fred Wilpon, decided that rather than pay a lump sum to Bobby Bonilla when they released him of $5.9 million, they would try to invest that $5.9 million with Bernie Madoff and give him a deal that paid him twenty or $28.5 million until... 2035, $28.5 million, so basically $1.1 million a year from 2011 through 2035. And July 1st is the due date every single year. And that's why it's called Bobby Bonilla Day. And Steve Phillips has said, look, the the Wilpons loved Bernie Madoff. They didn't know where their money was going and what they were in for. But, and by the way, they thought they were going to make... 40, 50, 60 million dollars off of that 5.9 million that they saved with Bonilla. I don't think they got that out of it. I would say no. <laughs> I'll go ahead and say no, Randy. So Bobby Bonilla gets his 1.19 million dollars today. So happy Bobby Bonilla Day for Bobby, who we thank here in St. Louis for pulling a hamstring. Randy, if I was going to tell you, okay, I'm going to give you one lump sum or on this date every year, you could get one and a half million dollars for an extended period of time, what would you take? I, at my age, I'd probably take the lump sum. But if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I would have taken the the one payment every year for 25 years. I would do the one payment every year for 25 years for two reasons. One, I think it would stop me from making any real irrational purchases. Mm -hmm. It's still more than enough money to live off of. And he's got other money, obviously. Um, and two, what a fun thing to celebrate every year. Oh, yeah, it'd be great. Have a party. Now, that being said. Check your bank account. You win the lottery, lump sum, or the payment every tw- every year for 20 years. <clears throat> I might do lump sum if it's the lottery. I think I would do that, too. Only because, and I don't know how this is really any different, but if you read about the lottery... A lot of people who win the lottery get depressed. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason for that is so many people asking them for money. And I would think if it all happened at the beginning, I could just say yes to some people, no to some people, and then hopefully it would be done. Rather than every year that coming around, people knowing that's going to be the day you're going to get your money. All of a sudden, you're going to call from your third cousin twice removed saying, hey, I'm having car trouble. I know this is the day you get your check. Mm -hmm. So for that reason and that reason alone. Ranji, and this is so typical Ranji, says the first thing that he would do if he won the lottery is hire a no guy. Oh, that's actually really smart. Yeah, somebody to say no for you. What would you do? I would take the lump sum, and there would be an awful lot of money that would go to charity, and I'd set my kids up for life. And I don't know if I would have to hire a no guy. I would say I've already picked my charities. Yeah, that's a good answer. Guilt them. Say, hey, I'm giving it to people less fortunate than us. Exactly. But a no guy would come in handy. Oh, yeah. I wish I had a no guy right now. Uh, I'm not a very good no guy. I I could see you being a a true blue yes guy. Yeah, kind of am. But I have fun. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, it's summer camp brought to you by Camping World for the Cardinals. Who would be in your summer camp cabin? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Summer camp.
Yep, presented by Camping World, brought to you by Camping World. I said that twice tonight. Uh, for the Cardinals and for the rest of Major League Baseball. I just want to get, uh, I think it's great to sponsor camp. I think it's great to sponsor Camp Too Randy and say it as much as you want. Let's yeah. show them as much love as possible yeah. because we're talking about camp. We are. And yesterday, the Cardinals announced that uh, they're going to have some cabins for summer camp. And they want us to know, via their social media, what cabin we want to be in. And, Michelle, we got a choice of six different cabins to hang out with different players in. And uh, this is the group that you uh, spend the evening with, of course. And uh, you, you wake up in the morning and you go to breakfast together and then... You have dinner and maybe roast some marshmallows before you uh, you go to bed. So there are six cabins of six guys, and you can find them on the Cardinals' Twitter page or Instagram page. Which one did you choose? So this was difficult because they did a really good job balancing each cabin with young guys and veteran guys. Mm -hmm. They did a good job of not putting any of the guys that we would, on the surface, consider to be the big personality guys, kind of the jokester guys in the same cabin. So I had a difficult time choosing because these are all balanced fairly well. But at the end of the day, Randy, I chose cabin number six. Can I read to you who's in the cabin? Yes. Who's in my cabin? We're going Dylan Carlson. Mm -hmm. Brett Cecil, okay. hang on, wait for it, Jordan Hicks, Brad Miller, Edmundo Sosa, and Adam Wainwright. Wayno is the, the big X factor there because he does have that big personality and he would be so fun to be with. So fun to be with. So basically the way that I looked at how this is constructed is I said, who would be on this entire team the most fun person to have in my cabin? Yep. And that's Adam Wainwright. He would be number one. There's he no would, doubt about he'd it. He'd be number one. He's going to tell amazing stories. He's for sure the leader. Adam Wainwright is such a prankster. Night one, we're lying there. We're telling stories. He's going to be like, guess what? Let's head over to cabin number five, and we are going to TP it. We would be doing pranks on every other cabin, and it would be a blast. I'm definitely, and we have Dylan Carlson. So the entire time, I'm going to be picking his brain about what's wow, going on and, good. you know, learning more about him. And I feel like every cabin also kind of needs that that not a fall guy, but like a uh, uh -huh. he's we got Brett Cecil in the cabin. Oh, yeah, that's so good. if we get busted for a teepee, it's yeah. Brett's fault. Now cabin two is going to be rambunctious. There's gonna be some rough housing in cabin two with all these kids. Oh yeah. Junior Fernandez, Ryan Helsley, Alex Reyes. Be careful with that uh, arm, by the way. Uh, Andrew Kisner, Tyler O'Neill, and Tommy Edmund, all kids. So they are gonna be like a real summer camp cabin. Uh, the, the cabin one was Henesis Cabrera, Dakota Hudson, Daniel Ponce de Leon, Yachty. I don't want to be in Yachty's cabin because I think he might beat somebody up if they cross him. Without a doubt. He's going to be like, this is this bed is not made correctly. No. What are you doing? And then Justin Williams and Lane Thomas. I chose cabin three because I'm looking at fun, smiles, having a good time, chill. So you've got Dexter Fowler, Giovanni Gallegos, John Gant. Goldie, Carlos Martinez, and Andrew Miller. And you know that Fowler, Gant, Goldie, and Carlos, at least those four, are going to be smiling and joking around most of the time. And everybody else, we're going to have no choice but to follow along and smile and laugh with them. So I'm with you on the first three. How happy is Goldie really? We know he's such a nice guy. He's a wonderful guy, but he takes things very seriously. He does, but he, he smiles a lot, and he's a fun guy. He's really, he's an enjoyable guy to be around. He is an enjoyable guy to be around, but again, kind of like Yachty. Is he going to be the guy at the end of the day that says, hey, I want the cabin to be clean? He takes things very seriously. And 
to me, the biggest thing that I circled in cabin three, oh. Carlos Martinez. He seems like the guy that wouldn't do the dishes, that he would, uh, you know, kind of leave his clothes strewn about and would be like, I'm sorry, so man, I'll clean it up later. He's not going to be that guy that is going to be really responsible. But here's the thing. And you, you gave me two great guys. So Martinez is going to do something goofy and Goldie's just going to be laying on his bed saying, man, you're unbelievable. That, But he's going to laugh at it. Or he's going to get angry. Uh, Goldie doesn't get angry. Or maybe he will just seethe on the inside until it boils and boils and boils. And then we're having a brawl in cabin three instead of cabin two. <laughs> no, we're not going to have a brawl. That's There's no doubt that we're, we're going to be chill. We're going to have a good time. Now, cabin two, it's not going to be a brawl. They're just going to have, they're going to be pushing each other. They're going to be rambunctious. Somebody might bump their head. It's just going to be one of those cabins. See, I wonder if cabin two, if all of the guys in there will start to get a little rambunctious, and then they'll look yeah. at Tyler O'Neill and be like, you know what, I'm going to reconsider this. Mm, maybe. Let's just do Kubaya because he's huge. Uh, text 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. You can also leave us mic drops and tell us why you want to be in a particular cabin. From the 618, only one cabin has a Hall of Famer. So if you wanted to hang out with Yachty, so that, that, that'd that be a cool thing, I guess. Yeah. If that's a big deal. Uh, and while we talked about Yachty being very strict, Yachty is also a multifaceted guy. He has a fashion line. He has a record label. He's mm-hmm. going to be bringing tunes. Honestly, that's probably one of the things that we should have looked at. Which cabin do we think is going to have the best DJ? Because you're going to be listening to music a lot in there. Well, I know that your cabin with Wayno is mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of music because he plays the guitar. He'll probably bring a karaoke machine. Yeah. So at the very a- least, it's going to be a party, right? Randy, thank you once again for just saying my cabin yeah. is the best. Cabin is yeah, Wayno is strong. Wayno is the Joe Burrow in this cabin draft he situation. He is a clear cut number one overall pick from the six one eight cabin five. Flaherty, Wonger, Webb will be a riot, and DeYoung is sneaky fun. Agree on all counts. However. Tyler Webb is a photographer. Everything is going to be chronicled. Everything you do during the course of summer camp is going to be chronicled, good or bad, by Webb. Which could be a positive as long as he's not uploading it onto Instagram. Because 10 years later, how many times have we had a great trip or something and we look back and we said, man, I wish I would have taken more pictures. Yeah. And Webb's, yeah, Webb could be that guy that just kind of quietly takes pictures of everything that's going on. But that, that could also be a negative okay. if you're a rambunctious sort. Well, Randy Rose Reina Randy is not in any of these cabins, so I think we're okay. <laughs> that's true. Cabin uh, four, by the way, is Harrison Bader, Marp, Gomber, KK, Michaelis, and Weeders. And Miles, Michaelis, and Harrison Bader, number one, they spend a lot of time on their hair. So there's yeah. going to be issues with the usage of the bathroom, I would think. Yeah, totally. Because they're going to be combing and brushing and, and all of that stuff. Gelling, moosing, yep. styling. But you also have fun guys, right? Yeah. Those are, especially those two, Michaelis and Bader. But Marp can be fun. Austin Gomber is fun. KK, I'm sure, is going to be a fun guy. And Weeders. So you really, even if you get assigned to a cabin, you can't go wrong. Is there any cabin you would really want to avoid? I don't think so. Because I think there's intriguing personalities in all of them. I don't think that there is a cabin where you, for, for me personally, my bottom ranking would be cabin two, but it has nothing to do with personalities. It happens to do with the um, amount of energy there. It's, there's just so much energy in cabin two. You wouldn't be able to hang? I wouldn't, no. So yeah. I'd be trying to sleep. I'd say, guys, go to sleep. Come on. And they would be up until like four in the morning and then get up at 630 and have the same amount of energy. 
How about you? You think cabin two would be the party cabin? Um, Because I'm trying to see which one of these cabins is going to be the party cabin. uh, Again, I think I've got Carlos in mind. So if we're going to have a party, it's going to be pretty strong. I know the rest of the guys aren't really party animals, but Carlos will drag everybody into the fight, literally and figuratively. See, this is where I think your cabin might have some friction, Randy. Carlos is going to want a party. I could see Goldie being like, "Uh uh-uh, we are lights out strictly, 10 p.m. Oh, uh, Carlos's party is not in the cabin. Oh, he's he's leaving the cabin. (laughs) (laughs) He's saying, come on, guys. See, and that's when my cabin has rigged some sort of a trap outside your cabin <laughs> to where when Carlos True. tries to walk in the door, the string gets pulled and the bucket of water dumps on him and the alarm goes off and he is caught. Uh, my cabin is, is tricky. From the 314, does KK's interpreter stay in the cabin? This is a great question. And from the 636, I would rather have a cabin with all the 101 ESPN personalities. Oh, wow. That would be wild. Yeah. So all of us want to stay in one cabin. Just wait till you're in a cabin with Ranji for hours in a row. Uh, the rest of it, it could be, well, it'll be fun. Ranji's just kind of a contrarian. I just imagine him sitting on his bunk doing it. Oh, no, oh no he's going to be involved in every conversation. There's no doubt about it. Every single one? Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN, and you can see the cabins. The Cardinals have them up on their website, uh, well, uh, on their social pages at Twitter and Instagram, so you can check them out and pick out your own cabin. Next up, we're going to talk some golf with our friend Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Support for Carriker and Smallman is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools tools for your grooming experience. Now, we know we've all heard stories about a funny or painful manscaping situation, but that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest trimmer ever created, and they just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. This third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. And when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery's going to last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. And one of the coolest features, the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. Now, if you're listening to me speak right now, I actually want you to experience this firsthand for yourself. And here's how you're going to do it. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code SMALLS, that's S-M-A-L-L-S, at manscaped.com. One more time, 20% off plus free shipping with the code SMALLS at manscaped.com. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The PGA Tour has strong COVID-19 protocols in place, yet they've still had 
Six players test positive for the coronavirus, including Chad Campbell and Harris English in the last two days as they get ready for the Rocket Challenge, the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit this weekend. And our friend Jay Delsing, who has a show here on 101 ESPN Sunday mornings, Golf with Jay Delsing, joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to talk about what golf is doing right and how other sports might be able to follow their lead. Jay, it's great to have you with us. How are you doing? Hey, good morning, Randy, Michelle. How are you guys doing? Everything's great. And you and I were texting back and forth last night, and I wanted to to talk about this on the air because I think it's really interesting how and why golf is doing a, a good job. And with all the players they have, they've had six positive tests. But as you look at the tour, what do you think they're doing right, and do you think they're doing anything wrong? Well, you know, first, Randy, I think it goes to leadership. And Jay Monahan, our commissioner, has done a great job just getting out in front of this thing. Um, he said to all the players, I'm still included on uh, emails and, and uh, messages, that we have to figure out how to do business in this time. There's, it's, not, it's not a question of if, it's how do we do it. And with his leadership, I mean, the first tournament we had uh, was down at Colonial, and it was the Schwab Challenge, and we played with no spectators, and they took 1,600 tests, and they had no positive results. And so they got off to a good start. And But, Randy, with all of these communications that we've been receiving, they knew they were going to get positive tests, and they took protocols, and they put things in the, in the place where here's what happens when you test positive or your caddy tests positive. They do some contact tracing and then they, they test all the players that were in that path. And then um, they act accordingly. And, and there's, it's, it's zero tolerance. If you or your caddy have it, you're pulling out of the tournament and, and then the protocols change from there, you know? And so it's really to me, Randy, about player buy-in. You know, we're independent contractors, and we don't get paid unless we play. And we got to play. Jay, we know that Brooks Kepka's caddy tested positive, and he then withdrew himself from the field because of that and essentially self-quarantine. Do you think that the, that the conversation around golf and proceeding might have been different if it was Brooks Kepka, Kepka himself who tested positive? Maybe, Michelle. That's a good question. I, I don't know because the one now the double edged sword to having independent contractors is it's it's not easy to get united opinions. <laughs> you sit into some of these player meetings and man, we're all over the place because everybody's kind of covering their own ass, so to speak, you know. Um, but when you see Kep, uh, Brooks pulling out, you see Brooks's brother who doesn't even have a PGA Tour card pulling out. These guys are being respectful to the overall respect of the game and the other players and the sport. And that's what we got to get with some of these other, um, uh, the, the, these other games, man. These, these players need to take way more responsibility and put it on themselves and do the right thing. Stay out of the clubs. Stay out of the restaurants. You know, I know we have smaller numbers on the tour. No doubt about that. But it really comes to each individual and his entourage, which for us, it's caddy, things like that, to take care of business and do the right thing. 
And Jay, that's what I wonder is, and you brought up the term that golfers are independent contractors. Golfers have to play to pay. Not the case for a baseball player or a basketball player or a hockey player. And you wonder if the the athletes from the team sports might be more inclined to go out simply because if they don't play and they just catch the coronavirus and they're quarantined for 10 days, it's not as big a deal for their livelihood. It's not, it's not, Randy. I mean, all of us have this mentality, and I'm assuming because I've never played in those other leagues, but I know that the mentality of a tour player is it's my island, and if I'm going to feed my family and I'm going to, you know, we eat what we kill, man. We have to go out there and we have to play, and we have to play well. It's not just a matter of playing. It's having to play well. One of the things that I, that I want to mention about the job that our commissioner has done is this Workday event that's coming up next week in Ohio. The John Deere Classic, which is a great event, great sponsorship for us, had to pull out because Illinois is really, really strict and, and wouldn't allow any gatherings, even of the, uh, the players' numbers. So the PGA Tour, Moynihan, got with Workday and is having this kind of unprecedented deal, you guys, where we're playing two tournaments on the same golf course in the same town back-to-back totally unprecedented but you understand what the the concept is here we're we're trying to take this bubble and travel with it and so we're trying to eliminate as many variables as possible and when you can stay at the same hotel and stay at the same home and stay at the same golf course it it, it just eliminates that for you know some of the guesswork Jay, empty galleries, do you think that's a positive or a negative for a golfer with the game being so mental, not having that outside noise? Is that a positive or a negative? Oh, man, it's a 100% negative for me, and I'd say for probably 75% of the guys. There are certain guys out there, Michelle, I, I play with guys that like to sort their socks, you know, and they iron their underwear and things like that. They are taking control of the things so many things that they can control and some of them are completely oblivious to the fans but for the most part man there's energy that these people bring there's excitement there's there's the feel of hitting this golf shot and getting this recognition and it, it, you almost turn into a performer at certain aspects of it and you're you know there's uh, I, i'll just go back and say there's this energy that 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 people bring to the stage that that is excitement and it adds to your adrenaline and it completely affects the way you play. And there's a reason that players look so forward to the waste management, right? Michelle has been there. Mm-hmm. You've played in that and that's a different animal altogether, but it's really fun for the guys, isn't it? Oh, Randy, I made a hole in one there on Saturday one year and I'd never had, <laughs> for me, I'd never had this, this sort of cheering and applause. I mean, in the middle of my backswing, I can hear people saying, he's going to miss, I don't even know who this guy is. He's going to miss the green and I'll bet you 10 bucks he doesn't get it within, you know, 30 feet from the hole. And it was really more of an environment like I grew up, you know, as a caddy and, and, and I felt pretty much at home there. And, but that's a perfect example, Randy, of, of, you know, what the spectators can bring to the occasion and the situation. Hey, one more thing before we let you go, and that's in regards to the majors. Obviously, we won't have uh, the Open, the, the British Open, but with what you've seen from the, the tour, do you have any doubt at all that the three majors remaining will be played? 
Boy, I, I, at this point, with the success that we've had, you know, we've had uh, some hiccups, we've had some positive tests, but the response by the players has been exemplary. And I, and I think it's even going to be better for the majors. And I'm hoping, you know, Jack's tournament, the second event in Ohio, is going to be the first adventure with spectators back. And it's going to be a low number, you guys. I think they're going to allow somewhere around 10,000 people on the golf course. And some people might say, geez, that's not a low number. But when you start thinking about four or 500 acres mm-hmm. and you start thinking about people wearing masks, you know, I think they're going to be able to do that and do that safely. At least I sure hope so. And that's going to be significant for the majors as well, Randy, because I know at Augusta, which will be in November, which is completely odd, you know, for our sport to be, you know, having Turkey and the masters is just, you know, how does it get better than that? But um, I know they're help, They're hoping for spectators, and it's a huge part of that experience uh, that the other majors are going to follow suit. I mean, well, we already know that the PGA Championship is going to be played the first week of August in California. There will be no spectators. So we're hoping for the U.S. Open and Wingfoot in September and then the Masters in November uh, down at Augusta. Jay, great stuff as always. Thank you very much, and we will hear from you on Sunday morning. What do you got coming up? Oh, this week I've got uh, retired Captain Josh Payton. He, uh, a 20-year U.S. Army Ranger, three times deployed. I thought that would be a cool uh, guest to have on the show for 4th of July. He also founded the Veterans Golf Association, and um, you know, that's pretty cool. And then I've got a couple of weeks with Jim Nance, which, oh, man, just really, really uh feel awesome to have a guy like him on the show. That'll be great. And you do great work. Thanks so much for taking some time. We appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. See you later. That's our friend Jay Delsing. You can hear him at 8 o'clock Sunday morning. Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. You would think that having empty galleries would allow a golfer to focus more without any outside noise, at least for me. When Mm -hmm. I golf, I want it to be dead quiet. But I guess you get so used to it and you feed off the energy of the crowd. And I think one of the things is just not getting inside your own head. If there's a, a gallery there, you, you're probably thinking at least a little bit about them. Yeah. Whereas if you don't have a gallery, it's just like playing alone or with somebody. You start thinking about your swing and your dress and all of that stuff. They're pros and it's different for them, I know. But the worst thing you can do sometimes is think. Especially when you think, oh, wait, there's nothing else to distract, and I'm, yeah. there's a camera pointed right at me. <laughs> right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. And it is time for Teoli. And Tanner Hendrickson has your Teolis for us. Tanner, take it away. All right, guys. So yesterday we had Greg Amzinger on the show, and he had his X Factor as Matt Carpenter and said he is the best hitter on the Cardinals when he is right. So take it or leave it. Matt Carpenter leads the Cardinals in batting average this season. I'm going to leave that, Michelle. Uh, last year it was Tommy Edmond, and I don't think it'll be Tommy Edmond. I believe that the Cardinal leader in batting average this year is going to be a guy who can really run, which Mark doesn't really run too well, 
and has seemed to figure out how to get his bat on the ball. I think it's going to be Wonger. Wonger. I thought you were going to go Goldie. I wouldn't be surprised if it were Goldie. But I think that because of Wonger's ability to run, I think he's going to be the guy. I love that. I'm going to leave it too because I am going Goldie. Okay, good. And by the way, the Cardinals don't really look at, they don't evaluate players by batting average anymore. So if they aren't going to, why should we? That's right. What's our war? That's the key. Who's going to lead them in war over these 60 games? War. What's it good for? I don't know, Randy. I don't know. Uh, from the 618, COVID will cause half of a AAA team, or no minors, but half of a, I guess, minor league team to appear for an MLB team this season. I'm going to leave that. So you would think that once we get down to the 26-man threshold, that it'll be 34 players that'll be performing for the Cardinals, for example, in Springfield. Every team will have that pool of a remaining 34 guys. That would mean 17 17 and 17 is 34. That would mean 17 would have to appear on a major league team. I would leave that. Yeah, I'm going to leave it too, but what do you think the a realistic number is? 10, maybe? 10? If you have 26 and you use 10 other guys over the course of two months, I, I would think 10 would be a pretty substantial number in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a possibility. Wow. Well, you said 10 there. Take it or leave it. Would baseball consider... Um, well, take it or leave it. Baseball would consider shutting down if they had a team, one single team, have 10 guys test positive. I'm going to leave that. I might take that. 10 guys on one team. But the, uh, you just quarantine them and they test negative for two consecutive days and you're golden. And, and over the course of two months, it could happen. Take it or leave it. If that happens within the first two weeks of play, you would change your mind about them shutting down. I'm going to leave it because it is only one team. If it were multiple teams that had those issues, I would take take it. But if it's one team and the infection spread throughout one team, there's a reason that you have 60 guys in your pool. And because you're worried about COVID-19 spreading, I, I don't think one team in and of itself would cause Rob Manfred to say, nope, we're going to shut her down. Interesting. I really don't think so. Would it Would it matter on the team, though? Like if it's Baltimore, say a team that's rebuilding in no. in regular season would lose a hundred if no, it was a better team. I don't think so, and I don't. I would think that it'd be more expected. Rangers, Astros, Diamondbacks, Marlins, Rays. Those are the five right now. The hot spots that you would look at. I, I think that uh, if it would happen, I really don't think there's a, a single scenario where ten guys on one team where they would uh, shut it down. What if more hypotheticals? Those 10 guys test positive, and then there's kind of a ripple effect with the other guys on the team saying, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Well, then you've got issues. If you have 10 more out of your 60, that you, so you've got 10 quarantined and you've got 10 more that say I'm opting out, then you've really got issues. But I believe most of these players, even if they have teammates that are testing positive and... For example, Nick Watney, the golfer, said, I didn't have any symptoms at all. I lost my sense of spell, smell for a couple of days, but otherwise I'm golden. I never had a cough. I never had a temperature. They're going to be talking to each other, and the players are still going to believe that they're invincible, that they'll get p- past it in a few days, and then it's just like the DL. It's no different than a sprained ankle. Mm-hmm. It's actually not as bad as a high ankle sprain for them. That's what their perception is going to be. Wow. 
Well, on Monday, Anthony was telling a story, two stories actually, about his uh, bad luck with turtles. I want you guys to hear this. I had a turtle named named Sammy, and he ran away. And I'm not joking. (laughs) The Jeep, he had a Jeep, pulled off. Hey, let's go get let's go get that turtle. So we hopped out of the car. Within 20 seconds, a semi comes (laughs) and runs over that turtle. Take it or leave it. We need to get Anthony a new turtle to have back in his office. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave that. I don't think that that's something that's going to be a pro, apropos here at uh, Hubbard Radio. I, I don't think having a little turtle in a little tray is something that John Kioski is generally going to be on board with. I'm going to leave it because I don't want another turtle to have Sammy's fate. Poor Sammy. Poor Sammy. Now, here's the thing. How does a turtle run away? Great call. Anthony said, I was listening to that uh, with them on Monday. Anthony said that his dad, he, he says his dad told him that he was cleaning the, uh, what would it be? The, the little tray the, or the yeah, tank. Yeah, tray or the tank. And he said his dad said it just ran away. He kind of questions his dad and thinks that it, he put it in the pond. His dad totally put that in the pond. <laughs> and no, no turtle runs away. You would find it and you would retrieve it and put it back in the tray if you really wanted it in the house. Is this kind of like when they say, oh, your dog Dusty went to go live at the farm? Yes, same thing. Now, if you traverse the uh, highways and byways of the state of Florida, inevitably you're going to see a lot of flattened turtles on the highways. Really? Tons of them, yeah. that's so sad. It is. But there's a lot of sand meats down there. Is that their version of deer? Yeah, it is. It totally is, yeah. Especially in the northern part of the state. They're they're all over the highways. It's really sad. Yeah, think about if you put your turtle outside of the cage, how long, time-wise, do you think it would take for the turtle to even walk or meander to the door? 45 minutes. Exactly. Yeah, no doubt about it. Have you ever ever had turtle soup? No. Delicious. I would have never thought that I would like turtle soup, but I do. Is it real turtles? Yeah. Uh. Mike Shannon turned me on to turtle soup. We we were on the road one time and said, you got to try this turtle soup. I said, sure. And it was great. I thought that was just a f- clever name. No. No. I don't know if they're getting them off the highways in Florida, but they're getting them somewhere. Is the soup green? No, it's got broth and everything. It's it's like brownish. Oh, a brown brothy soup with yeah. turtles in it. Sounds delicious. It's great. Sounds exactly like something I need to order. Hey, you'll love it once you try it. Tastes like chicken. Don't sleep on it. <laughs> there you go. It tastes like chicken. Take it or leave it. We are celebrating the 35th anniversary of the 1985 team this year. Uh, take it or leave it. If they had Vince Coleman, they win that World Series. Yeah, I'll take that. They didn't score runs, and he was the spark plug to their offense. If they would have had Vince, they would have won that World Series. And the only reason they didn't win is because they didn't score. Their pitching was fine until they got to Game 7. Is that the one that bothers you the most? Like, yeah. they should have had it, could have had yeah. it? They were selling... Cardinal World Championship t-shirts and banners after game five, after they left here. They were up 3-1. And as you were walking through the concourses at the ballpark, they were selling Cardinal World Champion stuff. Well, that was a mistake. Yeah. That I mean, that makes me angry. You never do that. That's a total no, jinx. That is messing around with the karma, isn't it? You can't do that. But yeah, that's that one, the Denkinger call, but there were other games they should have won, and they were the better team. They, I think the Royals, they won 85 games. Cardinals won 101. The Cardinals were a better team. Yeah, and if they have Coleman, they would have won. No doubt about it. Tanner, thank you very much. Thank you. And that is Teoli on 101 ESPN.
Coming up next as we roll on, we've got today's fresh take. Stick around. It's coming your way here with Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. In St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And, Michelle, we were talking during Take It or Leave It about the possibility of baseball suffering multiple cases of COVID-19. And Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, says he's pretty confident about the NBA getting to Orlando. He said, we're testing daily. We haven't put a precise number on it. But if we were to see a large number of cases and see spread in our community, a.k.a. the bubble, that would, of course, be a cause to stop to not play so it, it it's going to be a, a number that we don't know mm-hmm. but it also seems like as we talked about earlier it'll be really hard to infiltrate that bubble with the nba it seems like it would but i wouldn't count it out just because of what we've seen so far the virus seems to be popping up in, in different places in different ways even with testing and are you concerned at all about some of these net tests doing false negatives i am i am too and, and you look at or hear about a guy like nick watney the golfer says he he adhered to all the protocols he didn't go out he hasn't had any of the symptoms except for a brief loss of sense of smell and he says he doesn't know how he got it and that would be my question is if you do everything right and you still test positive how does that happen i have no idea kind of a scary it, it's either a scary thought Either way, it's a scary thought. Either you get it just because, or you test positive, and or you have the, the false positive, and then all of a sudden you're quarantined and you don't need to be. Well, that's one of the things that you keep reading is that a lot of people are asymptomatic, and they still have it, and they could be passing it on. So a guy like Watney probably in normal life wouldn't have ever gotten tested. Right. How about some sunshine lollipops? You Please, like good news? I would love it. Bob McKenzie of TSN reporting that there's nothing carved in stone just yet, but if there are no hiccups in finalizing the tentative agreement, the NHLPA membership could be voting on not only a return to play, but an extension of their CBA by Friday or Saturday. And that would include Olympic participation in 2022 and 2026. Love to hear that. That sounds great. I think we need hockey they're trying to globalize. We need that sport to be in the Olympics. I know it's not great for the NHL, and the NHL doesn't make a lot of money off of it, but in terms of growing the game, mm-hmm. independent of the, the NHL, they need to be in the Olympics. Especially Winter Olympics. Hockey is one of the few things you absolutely ter- tune into every time. It's appointment viewing in the Winter Olympics. And you're right, that's a lot of international eyeballs on NHL players and the NHL product. And... Other than figure skating, hockey, maybe bobsled sometimes. Is there anything else that you're really locked into in the Winter Olympics? Just those, like the bobsled and the luge, things like that. Curling. Curling late at night. I never watch curling. I won't watch curling in the middle of the afternoon or in prime time. But if it's one in the morning, I'm going to watch curling. Lull you to sleep? Yep. But I don't fall asleep because I'm interested in it. You get locked in. Sweeper? Yeah. yeah. I love the sweeper. Uh, who, who would you be? What part of the curling team would you be? 
I'd want to be the, the do they call him the shover, whatever? I don't know. I was just going to say, let's look up the, the... The sweeper is not something that I would particularly enjoy, even though it's a really important element of curling. I, I would want to be the person that uh, is the shoots the shuffleboard thing. Okay, there's four positions. Okay. The skip, the vice, the second, and lead. Now, I don't know what any of those are. I'd want to be the lead. Just because you say Randy Carriker is the lead? Yep. Isn't the lead the one that just is calling out to them, like, where to sweep? Oh, that might be. Then I don't want to be that. I want to be the guy that does the shuffleboard thing. Research is on this. Okay, good. The lead throws the first two rocks of the end and then sweeps the next six. The lead must be very good at throwing guards and a strong sweeper. Okay. Okay, so multifaceted player here, Mm -hmm. kind of a five-tool guy. Yeah. The second throws the third and fourth stones and should be strong at playing takeouts. The second sweeps the first two stones, and then the final four of the end. The second and the lead need to be in sync when sweeping together. Okay. Okay. The third throws the fifth, fifth and sixth rocks. Must be good at all shots, but especially draws. I don't know what any of this means. Um, blah, blah, blah. The third also posts the score at the conclusion of the end. Okay, that's me. Well, hold on. What about this one? The skip is the captain of the team and decides the strategy. It's the skip's job to tell the other players where to throw their shots and when to sweep. The skip also delivers the last two shots at the end, Ooh. and the skip must be good at all types of shots. Okay, I'll so be. This the... is confusing because the lead sounds like the lead, but the skip sounds like it's really the lead. And I want the rest of the team to come up and say, "Hey, skip." Hey, skip. Yeah. Yeah, you come. You decide the strategy. If That's you're the my skip. play. Yep, totally. Yeah, Randy. And the, the last two shots, I'm, I'm the cleanup hitter. But you have to be good at all types of shots. I'm not, I have no problem with that. I'm not a feared. I can do it. Okay, if we we're putting together a curling team at 101 ESPN. Uh-huh. You're the skip. You're the captain. Yeah. Who do we think would be good at throwing and a strong sweeper? Who would be our lead? Because we have to have Jamie Rivers. It's got to be Jamie somewhere. Rivers. Yeah. I was just gonna say. So I'm, I'm thinking you're the skip. Jamie's the lead. Yep. So then the second in the league need to be in sync when sweeping together. So who's that, BK? You. No, you. Well, he and BK work together. They have such good chemistry. Yeah, and there's a little athleticism there. Or maybe Stalter. They used to work together. Stalter's an athletic guy. I think I might go with Anthony for that. Okay. Yeah, Anthony would, he just looks like a sweeper. Totally. Yeah, he'd be great at that. Yeah, I could see. And he and Jamie, they would come up with a little... One, two, sweep strategy there. Okay, finally, we have the third. The third sets up the shots and helps the skip discuss the strategy. Okay, then you're you're the third. Okay, so I'm your conciliary? Yes, well, totally. I love it. I'm into it. So, I mean, 101 ESPN curling team. Here we go. I love it. One other note, by the way, about the NHL. Isn't it remarkable? All the consternation, all the public back and forth. And they weren't even working on a CBA in baseball. They were just working on this year. Right. You don't hear anything from the NHL. And they've got a whole new CBA that they're ready to extend. Other than that that note you just read, it's the first time we've ever even discussed it. Right. It, it's remarkable how bad baseball was at this. But they do have a lot of lingering and long-lasting animosity towards one another, both sides. Mm. But I, I do think, generally speaking, hockey... Under, well, I guess these other sports, too, kind of learn from baseball's mistakes. If you're hockey and you're watching what's going on with baseball, you're having internal conversations saying, this cannot be us. Right. You, you, you've got to... They need a good PR person in baseball. That's all. They, they, somewhere in the front office, they need somebody that says, no, don't do this. There was no common sense person. No. You know how in football you have a get-back coach? Right. I feel like baseball needs a common sense czar. 
Just a common, the minister of common sense. Right. Somebody who is with, it's kind of like, the uh, the right hand guy for a president or a governor or a mayor, a guy or gal, whatever. But somebody who can tell Rob Manfred, no, don't say that, or give him talking points when he goes out to speak to the media or he's on the phone with the media. Rob Manfred needs talking points. Bottom line, maybe he could get some of that Astros technology. And anytime he starts to say something that he shouldn't say, someone can buzz and he I, can feel it on his shoulder. I think we should be better than that. Okay. I think it's a shock collar like you use to keep a dog in the yard. Oh, okay. So when he starts straying, just shock Rob Manfred. I don't think a buzzer, he, he can power through a buzzer. He's not going to power through a shock. But I wonder if he wants to power through the buzzer. Because I think that he thinks he's going out there with the right intentions and that he's saying the right things. So maybe just making him aware that he's actually saying things that are upsetting the general baseball fan with the buzzer might be enough. Based on what you saw, though, for April, May, better part of June, wouldn't you rather shock him? Definitely. <laughs> I don't think there's any Definitely. doubt. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Next up, Ryan O'Reilly said some interesting things to Chris Kerber last night here on 101 ESPN at, and at stlblues.com. We're going to hear what uh, number 90 had to say next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> If you weren't with us last segment, Bob McKenzie of TSN reporting that after a long night of negotiations and hard work between the NHL and the NHLPA, there appears to be an agreement in place on most issues on phases three and four of return to play, plus a collective bargaining agreement extension for the league and transition rules. Still a couple of items to finalize today. Nothing, of course, he says is actually done until both sides ratify a tentative deal, but this would be a long-term deal and this would mean that your St. Louis Blues are going to be playing complete regular seasons, barring COVID-19 uh, disruptions, for the foreseeable future. That's great news. We should have led the show with this. Great news. Yeah, it is. It's uh, But this is like breaking. This no, was within the last... Uh, I wish we could have broken it. I know, right? Yeah. But Ryan O'Reilly was on with Chris Kirby. He did an interview after working out at Centene Ice Center. And the interview aired last night here on 101 ESPN and talked about the uncertainties of getting back to work. Everything gets under control and things go well. And, and, you know, everyone's smart and taken care of. You know, there's definitely a good possibility that we will play and it will happen. And we know it's going to be difficult. There's, you know, so many things that will be unfortunate. You know, being away from our families, um, doing this, being confined in these small spaces. But... You know, I think it's important for the, you know, our game, the growth of it, to be able to, uh, you know, salvage this this season and, you know, have a winner, not let the whole thing go to waste. But, again, the priority is the safety and the safety of our families, those guys, whether they had young kids or had kids and, you know, families that way. You know, that's definitely a priority. But, you know, I think the NHL is doing a good job putting in, putting in uh, good, you know, Good practices to help us make sure nothing happens, but uh, yeah, again, it's you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty. And that's a guy that has a brand new baby, mm -hmm. uh, and so it's got to be tough for him to think about leaving home and going to Edmonton. And latest is is that it'll be Edmonton and Toronto to be the hub cities, but. Like he said, we don't want to waste the season. And I'm sure that Ryan O'Reilly sees a window of opportunity with his particular team, too. I think all these Blues do yeah. an opportunity to win another Stanley Cup. 
Don't you love that he's focusing on not only the immediacy, but the long-term ramifications of them not playing? Isn't this what we wish that baseball players would have been saying for so long? Right. You have to care about, especially as a young player, what your league is going to be, not just in 2020, but in 2022 and 2024 and 2026. And we know that's what Bill DeWitt does with the Cardinals. He's always looking down the road. And I think it's important for players, especially if they truly are concerned about the future players, they have to worry about what the sport is going to look like down the road. And that includes not ripping ownership or or, or trying to be at least uh, to have some level of cooperation. And I think that's impossible with the way those sides acted. Absolutely. Also, listening to Ryan O'Reilly talk, I thought I was thinking as he was speaking, it must be difficult for a player to be asked about the situation because I think you you're you're gonna go, you wanna play, you wanna compete. But even if you have some trepidation, it's probably not something that you want to be forthcoming about because you don't want to put it out there to the public like, hey, I'm really nervous about this. So I thought he did a really good job and, and I don't know his intentions mm-hmm. or if he's scared or not. But I was just thinking in general, there's probably players who even though they're really excited to get back out there and they understand the immediate and long term effects of not playing, have those fears and probably would like to talk about it. But but are going to give the the general, hey, everyone's doing great, everyone's going to follow the protocols type response. And it's interesting with hockey players in general, at their core, they are so competitive. How easy would it be for Ryan O'Reilly to say, hey, my wife just had a baby and she needs me, the baby needs me, I've got kids, my, my family needs me around. It'd be very easy for him to say, you know what, we won the cup last year, we had the first place team this year. And I don't, I don't want to start this up again. It'd be easy for him to say that, but he decides to say, no, this is about being competitive and about trying to win again. Also, hockey players are inherently the toughest guys out there. So even if they yeah. are, even if they are nervous, they're probably not going to say. You know, I we talked about this before, but I feel like if someone tests positive, it's going to be like upper body injury. Totally, day that's to what day. it'll be. Here's Ryan O'Reilly on the Blues starting another playoff run. We know we have to play our style and be physical and and you know be hard to play against. You know, that's got to be the staple of our game going through this. Um, like I said, though, it is you know every team is start from scratch. Every team that's involved in this right now. Is looking at they have an opportunity to win a Stanley Cup, so it's going to be one of the toughest like, stretch of hockey that any of us any of us will ever be in. Be the toughest tournament that you know that yeah any of us you know it's it's like nothing else. So it's it's going to be extremely difficult. I think as a group we know that we know it's going to be completely different from last year. We're not coming in you know finishing a season playing very well and having momentum and coming in. You know we're all starting at the same point where you know we have to you know the way we practice here, the way we're in shape, the way you know we take care of our bodies and stuff, all of that comes into play right now moving forward. So it's, you know, there's confidence in, in our game. We know what it looks like, but it's putting in the work now and, and, you know, getting that preparation. They are so consistent in talking about their game and getting to their game. And as we sit here on July 1st, and they probably won't start playing until July 30th or August 1st, they know what their game looks like. They do, and they also know that if they play their game, that no one can beat them. Right. 
that they'll beat themselves. The only team that can beat the Blues is themselves. You're exactly. right. Exactly. Championship mentality. It really is. I want to go back to the the idea of the teams playing because Eric Engels, who uh, is a hockey reporter for. Uh, Roger Sportsnet in Montreal covers the Canadians beat. He says, over the last two days, I've been speaking with players from around the NHL who are quite concerned about a return to play. I'm going to paraphrase some of those sentiments over a few tweets. He says, one player said a majority of the players do not want to return to play this summer. Estimated 75%. Though they're concerned with financial pitfalls of that decision, they're more concerned about risking contracting the virus or serious injury before cramming in the 2021-2022 season. So there's another end of the spectrum. Eric Engels of TSN in Montreal saying 75% of players don't want to play. 75%. That's a shocking percentage. And that was just from one player that said that. But... I think that that player would, is talking to enough people that have similar sentiments that he would feel confident telling a reporter that. Right. It's pretty, that's a pretty dramatic number. And we don't know how many players that particular player has been in touch with. Sure. There was another player that told Engels, everyone's going to play. No one is going to opt out. Playoff bonus will be higher than ever. That's free money if we play. Hockey is a different culture than other sports. No one is opting out. So you go from 75% of the players that don't want to play, but to no one is going to opt out. See, that's kind of the sentiment that I was talking about earlier. Hockey is a different culture. No one is going to opt out. Right. That's why that 75%, that... I, my jaw just dropped open. Well, and it might be that 75% don't want to play, but they're still going to because that is the hockey culture. Yeah. But again, it's the fear of the unknown. I don't blame 75% of people that this player spoke to. Uh, I don't blame them for having concerns or being nervous or worried about how this is going to go. They have family members that they right. need to be worried about. They have themselves that they need to be worried about. They're probably reading the news and reading Rudy Gobert, who's saying, hey, I still have lingering effects from this three months later. And my doctor said it could be a full year until mm -hmm. I'm fully recovered from COVID. If I'm a professional athlete, I'm looking at it from a ton of different angles. Not only how is this going to affect me immediately, but how is this going to have a lingering effect on my playing career if I contract this virus? Right. At least from what they're saying, the Blues guys are saying all the right things. From a fan's perspective, we want to see hockey. Of course. So from from that perspective, even though they might go home and have their family say, why are you saying that? From the, They're making me happy. Me too. Yeah. And after we had months and months of baseball saying the wrong thing, I'm just, I'm pumped to have hockey say the right thing. And one other note from... This Eric Engels line, another player said that calls with the NHLPA have been a joke and that they have only revolved about the financial situation. And this tweet was 21 hours ago. Now within the last hour, reports that the NHLPA and the NHL have come to an agreement not only on return to play, but on a new collective bargaining agreement. So even though the players aren't liking what the NHLPA is saying to them, the NHLPA is hearing what they want to hear from the NHL. Yeah, it seems a little conflicting, no? It really does. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up, we've got a new fighter for the fight here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. In the red corner, the challenger, Average Joe Lesnar. Listener! And in the blue corner, 
riding out of the mean streets of Creve Corps. The undisputed king of morning drive. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Randy Well, you heard Anthony with the big voice tell you what time it is. It is time for the fight here on Carrick Moment, Moment, 8.33 a.m. Tanner, please let us know what we're fighting for today. Well, today we are fighting for a gift card to Budweiser Brew House, reopening soon at Ballpark Village, and we want to get you stocked up to be ready when they do. Sounds great. Terry is our fighter this morning. Terry, welcome into the show. Good morning. I'm Michelle. Okay, Terry, you ready to take on Randy? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Terry. Question number one. When was the DH implemented in the American League? Was it 1965, 1982, or 1973? 73. All right. How many stolen bases did Vince Coleman steal in the 1985 regular season? Was it? 110. Oh, nice. didn't even need the options. Terry is on fire. All right, Terry, who was leading the Blues in points when the season was suspended on March 12th? Was it David Perron, Jaden Schwartz, or Ryan O'Reilly? I'm going to go with David Perron. All right, and the last one here. Lionel Messi scored his 700th goal of his career yesterday against Atletico Madrid. Who was the last player to score 700 goals in the NHL? Was it Brett Hull, Yamir Yager, or Alex Ovechkin? Yamir Yager. All right, Terry. We have Tanner going to get Randy. Man, you knew that Vince Coleman won right right away. Congratulations on that one. Yeah. Okay, here comes Randy. He is walking back in the studio. Getting settled in. No propel today, so Terry might have a shot. All right, Randy, say good morning to Terry. Hey, Terry, how you doing? Doing good, Randy. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening, and thanks for playing today. We appreciate it. Yep. Randy, question number one. When was the DH implemented in the American League? 1973. All righty then. Randy, how many stolen bases did Vince Coleman steal in the 1985 regular season? I believe it was 110. Randy, who was the who was leading the Blues in points when the season was suspended on March 12th? Oh, who was? Um, was it? Let's see. Perron was having a good good year. Shen was having a good year. I don't know if O'Reilly was. Um, who was on top? It was. Hold on, I. Uh, I don't think it was Ryan, but maybe it was. <laughs> I'll go with O'Reilly. All right, last one here, Randy. Lionel Messi scored his 700th goal of his career yesterday against Atletico Madrid. Who was the last player to score 700 goals in the NHL? The last player to get his 700th goal in the NHL. This is a good one. So you've got uh, Luke Robitaille, you've got Hulley, you've got Gretzky, you've got Messier. And I think you probably have Alex Ovechkin, right? So I'm going to go with Ovi. We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner. And still champion, Randy Carragher! Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Sorry, Terry. Randy walks away with another W. He beat you four to two. Let's run through the answers here. The DH was implemented in the American League in 1973. Ron Blumberg, first one. There you go. Wow. 
Fun facts. Uh, Vince Coleman stole 110 bases in the 1985 regular season. Ryan O'Reilly was leading the Blues in points when the season was suspended on March 12th. 61 points, 12 goals, 49 assists. And it was Alex Ovechkin. He was the last player to score 700 goals in the NHL, and that happened on February 22nd, 2020. Terry, thanks so much for playing. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good show. Thank you, Terry. Appreciate it. We appreciate the compliment, and uh, we are thankful that you're a listener and a player here on 101 ESPN. And you can always participate in the fight. I know that uh, we've got several text people trying all the time. Just send us a text with the word fight to 65780 anytime between, like, 7 and 8, and Tanner will pick a contestant each and every day. Yeah, and you can come on here and have Randy... Body oh, you. come on. I didn't know all of those. I you, thought it was going to You literally be, got all four correct, I so know, you did know all of them. I, I thought it was going to be a soccer question. I thought I was screwed because I was going to get a soccer question. Yeah, I could see the fear in your eyes. Yeah. But, you know, if it was a general soccer question, I think you might be able to deduce the answer. If I use the lifeline and I've got Pele, Pele. Pele? Pele. Pele. Yeah, Pele, Pele. Uh, so... Beckham really wasn't a huge goal scorer, was he? I don't know. No. I didn't think so. He was more of an assist guy. He could bend it like Beckham. That's he, true. He was he had great natural talent. Who's your favorite uh, player over there overseas? Um, like, mine's Harry Kane from the Tottenham Hotspur. Her- oh, come on, you Spurs? Yeah. Hashtag C-O-Y-S. <laughs> Katie's got a shirt. Yeah. And oh, Ronja actually gave me a... I've got a t-shirt, too. Ronja gave me a... a, a Koi's t-shirt. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize you were a Tottenham guy. Oh, yeah. I, I am a, a lifelong diehard Tottenham for the last couple of years. <laughs> really? How <laughs> many players can you name? Um, Harry Kane. Uh, you've got Son. You've got uh, Hugo. That's their goalie. Wow. Yeah, you've got Christian Eriksen. you got a pretty good squad over there. Look at you. Oh, yeah. I watch Tottenham now and then. Now that they're back. Tottenham is back. Yeah. But they had to change coaches. They got they got a new coach last year, last spring. And you were concerned about a soccer question. And here you are talking soccer. I know one team. I can't name you a guy on Arsenal. I can't name you a guy on Man U. I bet or you Man can. City. Think think about a guy on Man U. Ronaldo. Is he right Man U? I don't know. No. I, I was thinking about Cristiano. I Ronaldo? was thinking about a guy that we saw on the international stage during. Messi. <laughs> I was thinking Paul Pogba, but. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm not... No. Right? Doesn't he play for Man U? I think so. Anyway. 65780, that's the Air Comfort Service. We have, sex no, line, we have literally no idea. No, we don't. But we're working on it. That's the thing. We're trying to get better here on Carriker and Smallman. Should we do a Saturday morning soccer brunch? Yes. We'll do a special edition of Carriker and Smallman. Live stream? Yes. Well, we could do that. Or once we get back into normal life we can go out and watch with somebody but yeah either a live stream would be fun we could all just sit and watch the game and comment well we're getting a lot of text 65780 <laughs> erickson been at inter milan bro erickson moved to italian syria uh, he was an idiot to move erickson is no longer with the hotspurs see okay. all of our soccer people checking in well i haven't watched him because they haven't been playing in a while <laughs> but you know what you had me he should, he i should, have no idea he should not have moved either no. Because he should have stayed with Tottenham. The hot spur. <laughs> you know, I, okay, I never really understood Tottenham's logo. It's like a rooster on a soccer ball. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? What's the, what's the point behind that? I don't know. So Maybe let me 
Let's get research on that. Okay, again, 65780, we do always appreciate your knowledge that we don't have, like Christian Erickson. I knew that there was a possibility that Christian Erickson could leave in the transfer period, but I didn't realize that he had moved on. Um, what do you think about relegation? I always wish that that would be applied to some American sports. Like 15 and 65 Rams? Oh, my God, relegate them. Get them out. Yeah. We would have won a lot more games. It wouldn't have been as fun because we would have been in the minors of football, but we would have won a few more. Do you think? I don't even know if they would have won in the minors. I, yeah. Steven Jackson was there. Yeah. So they maybe. Were, they were so bad. They were really bad. Really bad. Yeah, it's hard to get to that level of incompetence and people's jobs as long as they did. Billy Devaney did not have a good run as the Rams general manager. Nice guy, but man, he did not have a good run. I'll tell you a little story. Please do. One day during the fast lane, Billy Devaney was in here, and I believe this was 2000, before the 2009 draft, okay? And obviously the Rams wound up taking, taking Jason Smith. Devaney said that if Jake Locker would have come out, the Rams would have taken him because he saw Locker as the next John Elway. Oof. That is bad. Isn't that unbelievable? No, it's not, because I watch those teams, so it makes me feel like, yeah, that's entirely possible. That was the talent evaluation. Stafford went first in that draft. It would have been Locker. Anyway, fortunately for the Rams, they properly evaluated Jason Smith. Yeah, fortunately for them. They took Jason Smith as their left tackle, and then the coaching staff got their hands on him the very first day of the very first minicamp and figured out that he couldn't play left tackle. Very first day. Very first day of the first minicamp, and they moved him to right tackle. And then the uh, offensive line coach at the time told, coached Jason Smith to lead with his head against the opposition. And Jason Smith's career ended because of concussions. Lead with his head. Lead with his head. Block that way. There's so many really upsetting things that we just talked about in the span of one minute. <laughs> I know. It's amazing, isn't it? And I'm imagining the headlines, Rams select Jake Locker, comma, to be the next John Elway. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what they thought. Do you think that out of all of those draft picks, because there were some bad draft mm-hmm. picks. Is 2006 Jason, was the worst draft in the history of the NFL. Do you think Jason Smith is the one that you'll always look at that stands above the rest? No, because that was a pretty bad draft. The, the, the other guys, they would have had to go down to number 18. And actually, Jeremy Macklin was the guy they should have taken with the second pick in the draft. But he was taken 18th. The other guys that were... In that draft, they should have taken Eugene Monroe. I remember talking to Chris uh, yeah. after his rookie year because both UVA guys. I right. said, what do you think of Eugene, uh, of Monroe? And he said, well, playing against these guys in the league, he can play in the league. And he wound up being pretty good for a while. They should have taken him uh, uh, over Jason Smith. But the worst pick was Ty Hill, 06. So they have the 11th pick in the draft, wound up being Jay Cutler. They traded that pick to Detroit so they could move down to 16. In 2006, they took Ty Hill... And the 12th pick in the draft, the draft, the, their original pick was 11. The 12th pick in the draft was Haloti Nada, defensive tackle. Oh, who, remember? Yeah. Borderline Hall of Famer. The, the, and they took a cornerback, Ty Hill. The next year, they had the 13th pick. They took defensive tackle Adam Carricker, cousin Adam. And the next pick after them was Darrell Rivas. So the question would be, would you have rather had Haloti Nada and Darrell Rivas or Ty Hill and Adam Carricker? One pick difference both years. 
That's brutal. That was your St. Louis Rams. Next up, minor league baseball canceled their season. How does this affect some of the Cardinal youngsters? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Major, uh, Minor League Baseball announced yesterday that they have canceled their 2020 season due to the COVID-19 epidemic. And the Cardinals obviously have a very good system. And they have announced the 44 players that are going to participate here in St. Louis. But some of those that aren't going to be here include their second their number two prospect, second best prospect, Nolan Gorman. Uh, Matthew Libertor is their number three prospect. Zach Thompson, their first rounder from last year, is also not in that group of 44. And Elahuris Montero, uh, one of their fine third base prospects, is also not going to be here. And those players are going to be in a position now where ordinarily they'd be able to play 120, 130 games, where they are not going to be able to play games at all in 2020. Which could be very detrimental to them and their growth. I mean, what do you do then if, you, if you're one of these guys? You obviously continue to work out. But when you think about it from a developmental standpoint, those game repetitions are what you need to continue to work on the things you need to work on and grow. It's completely different th- than it would be just getting in the cage and working out. We always talk about at-bats, uh, a certain number of at-bats for a guy to be ready for the major leagues, certain number of innings pitched at the minor league level, and those are all lost for the Cardinal minor leaguers. Now... The Cardinals are going to try to do something for their youngsters to at least get them to participate in baseball activities. John Mozalak telling Derek Gould at stltoday.com, the challenge for major league organizations will be, can we find a safe place for some of our players to train this summer, but the likelihood of satisfying a large number of players will be impossible. So those guys that aren't among the top 30 prospects, and weren't making much money. We know how little yeah. minor league players make. They're probably driving Ubers, and they're probably hopefully getting back to waiting tables and doing something. They have to earn money, too. And most of those players won't have the opportunity to have organized workouts. So those careers, many of those careers, I would think, will go by the wayside because of the lack of financial stability caused by the, the cancellation of the season and the fact that they have to make money somewhere else. It's really sad. You think about a lot of these players who have poured their entire life into baseball and their entire life, all the sacrifices that they've made for this dream of eventually making it to the major leagues. And, and we know a lot of businesses are affected by the pandemic, but you're absolutely right. With Without the, the reps and the finances, at some point you're going to look at your situation and say, how realistic is this going to be? When is this going to get uh, you know jump-started again? I, I don't really know, but it just makes you really sad to think about so many guys who would have been in the system and still potentially had a shot that might be looking at a different future. Now, MLB Pipeline had the Nolan Gorman ETA at 2022. He was their first round draft choice two years ago, just turned 20 years old. But if he's going to miss a year, does the ETA switch from 2022 to 2023? You'd think so, right? I would think, yeah. Does that enhance your desire for the Cardinals to go get a guy like Arenado? Or Mm. are you going to count on Tommy Edmond being your third baseman for 2021. And Gorman, if he comes up in the middle of 2022, do you want to have that guy that is established, that you know is going to be solid, 
or are you willing to wait and mix and match and piece together your third base situation until Gorman gets here? That's a great in 2023. That's a great question. And I would think if you're sitting in the Pobo seat, you might be more inclined to look at a sure thing and Nolan Arenado. But gosh, you, you think about somebody like that. And while the, I know the Cardinals love their prospects, part of sharpening that raw talent is those reps, mm-hmm. is that development at the minor leagues. And if that's not there, you're leaving these players up to their own devices. That's a scary thing in itself, too. But then I also wonder if a lot of these guys are having lost seasons, how valuable does that make them to prospective teams as far as a trade is potentially right. concerned? It's hard to come back when you haven't played for a year, regardless of how old you are. And I'm not saying that Nolan Gorman can't turn out to be a great player. Right. He very well could be. But are the Cardinals... My, my question would be, and I, I'm throwing money aside here. I'm mm-hmm. just talking about the product on the field. Are you giving up an opportunity to compete at a high level if you don't have that great player at third base for the next couple of years, maybe Matt Carpenter will rebound. Maybe Tommy Edmond will be that guy. But you were planning on having Gorman after next year. Now you're probably looking two years down the road. And if you don't have Major League Baseball in 2022, or at least a portion of 2022, it might be even longer than that. Yikes. Because of a strike in 2022. Right, yeah. Hmm. You definitely are hindering your chances to win if you bank on more of the unknown because it's more of an unknown than ever. Mm-hmm. But then what would the asking price be? Because if if somebody if some of these prospects are less valuable to you because of their development, because this year has been thrown by the wayside, they're also less valuable to another team mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, right? So then if you're Mo and you're picking up the phone and you're talking to Colorado, what do you think the asking price is then? Do you think it's gone up? Or it's gone down. Because if I'm Colorado, I think I can ask for more. I would think so. But you don't know what the more is. But if you're Colorado, if, you, if you're Jeff Breidich, their GM, you say, okay, they're getting a third baseman that's going to have seven or eight years left on his contract. So they, they just drafted a third baseman with their first round pick. Mm-hmm. Montero is one of their top prospects. Uh, Nunez is another one of their top prospects who is a third baseman. I'm going to ask for Gorman. If I'm them, because Gorman plays third base, they're getting a third baseman for the next seven years. I'm going to, although they have a, a good prospect that is a third baseman. But if if I'm in the Rocky shoes, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, and I don't think they really know what they're doing there anyway. But I think I would at least go to Major League Pipeline and say, okay, that's the guy I want. And if you're Mo, are you more likely to give him up? I would think so, wouldn't you? Yes, absolutely. It, it's just it seems logical. Now, I also have to throw this out there. Back in 2012, the Cardinals drafted three first ba- third basemen in the first and second rounds. The two in the first and one with their first pick in the second round. Those three were Stephen Piscotty, a right fielder now, Carson Kelly, a catcher now, and Patrick Wisdom, a first baseman now. Wow. So they had a bunch of third basemen, and they wound up not playing third base. That very well could be with the same crop that plays, that's playing third base for them in the system now. But that's another thing. You know absolutely that Nolan Arenado is going to be able to play third base. And all those guys were highly touted in the Cardinal system. Really we were. heard about them all the time, and now they're elsewhere. Yeah. So I think it's really an intriguing situation for... All of baseball is how they go about trying to advance 
and develop young players with no games for them to develop in. Well, not only do you have those concrete game stats, you also have the pipeline of communication within the minor league system with coaches, et cetera, that are saying, hey, here's how they're working out. Here's how they are as a clubhouse guy. These are the things I'm seeing. So removing that from the equation, too, you can be checking in with these players and whatnot, but you have to trust them implicitly. Because there's no checks and balances within the organization anymore. Right. And I think, by the way, for the Cardinals, with the youth of the players, Thompson, a first-rounder last year, Gorman, 20, Libertor, 20 years old. And by the way, those two are best buddies in Arizona. Mm -hmm. But if you have a 24-year-old guy that you like, that you think can be a pretty good major leaguer, and you've been paying him basically nothing at the minor league level, and he gets a job where finally he's making some money, and he says, you know what? I'll give up the dream because I've got a future here with this job. I know that there's a future here. I don't know that there's a future in baseball. I would think that on some level, you're going to lose some guys that have a chance to be major leaguers this year because of the fact that you've never paid them before in the minor leagues. Most likely, yeah. And imagine when you've had no money or little money for a long time, and then even though you have this big dream and you've sacrificed so much for it, the world is so unstable right now. Mm -hmm. And you have a job that's paying you a decent amount of money, and you see some upward mobility. If you're that player right now more than ever, you're thinking that I'm not going to gamble on this. Or at least you'd be less likely to gamble on a future in baseball, don't you think? I would think so. So our our point here is that the cancellation of this season, and it's nobody's fault, it's but the cancellation of this minor league season could have long-lasting uh, consequences for Major League Baseball. And, and certainly Minor League Baseball, losing a year of revenue for Minor League Baseball is devastating. We need some games to happen because every nugget of baseball news that we have it's talked bad. about for the past three months has just been negative, negative, negative. Yeah. We need Dylan Carlson to play on opening day. Thank you, Randy. I have been saying this. I know you have. We need and, it. Uh, that would be the perfect thing. Let's hope the Cardinals feel that that's a, the right thing to do, too. You know it's not going to happen. I know. Coming up, today's uh, big thing is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. for today's big thing and a couple of things Michelle let's talk about something fun and interesting Antonio Brown we thought that when (laughs) Tom Brady went to Tampa he likes Antonio Brown Antonio Brown was living in Brady's house in Foxborough I still can't believe that that is amazing isn't it amazing and today the Buccaneers announced that they have zero interest in signing Antonio Brown. They obviously have two really good receivers in Mike Williams and Chris Godwin. They don't really need him. But even though he has apparently redeemed himself a bit, in the eyes of the legal system at least, the Buccaneers are not the team that's going to sign him. A lot of talent there. But would you, if you're a GM, want to take a, a flyer on him? Depends on my team. Okay. I need. I, I have to have that need. I, I'm not... I need the leadership that Brady and Gronk bring and the need for that receiver. So uh, I don't even know if there is a team out there that has... Baltimore was talking about it. Baltimore would be interesting. I think they have good, solid leadership, coaching that could handle that sort of a personality. And Hollywood Brown was really good last year, but they don't... Although they drafted three receivers, they don't have a veteran receiver with that sort of ability. 
he's going to have to convince people that he's normal, that his personality is normal. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a team out there that could handle him. Or that would need... I, I don't know if there's anybody that can handle him. I think there's a team that could utilize his services. Yes. And while you haven't heard as much about him recently, he's the type of guy that I think loves the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if he gets back on a team and he's back in the news cycle, if then he starts to be the old Antonio Brown again. Could be. Let me give you a team that doesn't have much cap space and he shouldn't command much. And... Uh, They've had to make moves to get rid of a receiver or two. How about your L.A. Rams? Oh, man. Let's let's put him there just because I want to see the drama yeah. unfold. They have virtually no cap space, but enough to sign a guy to the minimum. And they had to trade Brandon Cooks because he made too much money. So they still need to replace Cooks. So And, and McVay... He feels like he can... He, McVay's a genius. He can make <laughs> anybody play well. So how about that? So Antonio Brown respected Tom Brady. He listened mm-hmm. to him, yeah. right? Do you think Antonio Brown is going to respect Jared Goff? Oh, yeah. Fifth best arm talent in the league. That's true. You know what? I forgot about the arm strength, Randy. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> According to Colin Coward. No, I don't think that at least the old Antonio Brown, I don't think he respected anybody. He, he didn't respect Mike Tomlin. No. Good point. But seemingly, he did respect Tom Brady. He, he appeared to, yeah. Appeared to, And, and yes. Brady... Uh, apparently offered mutual respect to him. Also, though, while Antonio Brown lived at Brady's house and Brady has been supportive of him on social media and stuff afterwards, you think if Brady really had that great of an experience with him that he wouldn't be telling Bruce Arians, like, yeah, let's get him down here? He might have because, and, and, and I can see how Arians, Arians hated him anyway because Arians was with, with him in Pittsburgh early in his career, but... They also have two really two guys that are better than him right now, right? Based on what they've done over the course of the last year, and Antonio is going to be thirty-two, I believe. Let's find out. Can, right. I, can I tell you guys why I don't want to see AB go to LA? Yeah, uh, you guys are really going to hate me after this, but I'm still a Rams fan. Oh, you're an oh, idiot. You're allowed to be an idiot. We though. didn't know that. Nope. So, but that's okay. That's uh, the the world as as we've said on this show many times. Uh, the world needs dumbest people, too. You've got smartest people in the world. You've got to have dumbest people, right? Can I ask you why you're still a Rams fan? Wait, hold on. First, you love Stan Kroenke. First question. Are you from here? No. Okay. But uh, my, my dad's from here. Okay, where are you from? I'm from Olney, Illinois, like two and a half hours to the east. St. Louis. Got it. Okay. But so I, keep going. I am a Cardinals fan. I am a Blues fan. I, I, I just couldn't leave them. Like, once they left, I mean, I wasn't going to become a Bears fan because I... No offense to Chicago, but I hate every team in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to become a Chiefs fan because, I don't know, just too far away, didn't care. I mean, I know L.A.'s far, too. but And then I wasn't going to be a Colts fan because there are a lot of people in my area that were big Colts fans, and I was like, ah, no, I'm not jumping on the bandwagon. At the time, they weren't very good, if I remember correctly. So uh, I, I just couldn't leave them. And I'm not saying that I'm going to support Cronky. I absolutely hate Cronky, one of the worst owners in the NFL, actually the worst owner in the NFL. But I, I just couldn't leave them. So I remember when they left, and it it, it, it hurt me, and it sucked. But I just, I w- I'm still love football, so I decided to stay with them. You do realize, though, by buying their merchandise and watching their games, you are support, supporting Stan Kroenke, right? Yeah. So, okay. just so you're aware, you are supporting him. Yeah. The guy who hates St. Louis and hates you. Yeah. I'm glad that you still support him, though, even though he publicly said he hates us. Yeah. Basically did. Many times. Uh, Michelle, we're kidding. Question for you. Yes. Do you believe that baseball 
that it is the responsibility of baseball to publicize the players that test positive for the coronavirus. Like, we know all the golfers that have tested positive. We know basketball players that have tested positive. What about baseball, who have said that they aren't going to reveal those people? Now, the Giants revealed one of theirs. Hunter Bishop tested positive. Farhan Zaidi, their pobo, said because Bishop signed a waiver under the HIPAA Act that he was able to reveal the name. But baseball says they aren't going to. Do do we as fans deserve to know the players that test positive? I don't think so. Um, if a player tests positive and they want to conceal that from the public, I think it's their right to keep their medical records private. But I also think it's going to be pretty easy to deduce who tests positive and who doesn't when you see people are all of a sudden missing from organized activities or games. Yeah, it's one thing if a guy is walking out with his arm in a sling mm-hmm. or on crutches or limping. But he's there, and another altogether if a guy just isn't there for eight days or whatever. Right. So I think you're right. We will deduce, but I don't know why it's such a big deal. It's a situation now where so many people have tested positive, so many athletes, and and made it public. I don't know why it would be a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal because in most instances, it's not like the player did anything to cause this. It's just what's happening in the world right now. People are contracting. You can go to the grocery store and get it right now. Right. But I think if you're a player, because you're not in this bubble format, or even if you're in the bubble format, if you test positive when games are happening, I think the first assumption from a lot of people is going to be, you didn't take this seriously. Uh You didn't follow protocol. You were going out. Which that could completely be Irrelevant. They could have been doing everything to the letter of the law and still contracted the virus. So I think if I'm a player, I might be a little reluctant to put that out publicly because I don't want people to assume the worst of me. And Nick Watney has had to make a point to say, I don't know how I got it. Right. So it, that doesn't make it make it difficult for players. But we're going to know. I just and me personally, I don't care. I don't whether a guy has Tommy John surgery or COVID-19. It doesn't make a difference to me, but I do think that baseball should reflect society a little bit yeah. and at least tell us, give us numbers. You don't even have to tell us who, but I think we should know if you do have people testing positive. The other sports have told us that. Well, so you're telling me they could say, they'll say player X, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll know if one, two, three, four players have tested positive, you just won't have their identities. Exactly. Right. And so that's good enough for me. And if they do say, the team I would think will say, okay, we had a te- player test positive, he's on the COVID-19 list, and then we do deduce. Yeah. We do deduce. Well, uh, think about it. Right now, they have, they've had one person test positive. Right. And the we Cardinals have, have. We have the list of everyone that's going to be reporting, so we'll be able to figure yeah, out who it is. Yeah. Uh, two texts to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. This from the 636. It's not like COVID is a raging STD. I don't know why people are so sensitive to others finding out that they contracted it. Uh, same thing. I, I, I really don't care. I'm not going to completely avoid somebody for the rest of their lives. Like I might do if they had a raging STD uh, because they tested positive for COVID. At least in some areas, I'm going to avoid them. Absolutely. The STD people. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> got to be careful, right? Yeah. But again, I think we have seen 
a lot of animosity come out when people have been athletes or whomever have been seen out in, in group. Like, remember when Dak and Zeke, I believe, had a party early in quarantine and people saw them get together? Mm-hmm. People were really mad. They were like, what are yeah, you doing? What right. are you doing? And we've seen athletes go out and about and do things. And so if I'm, an a- if I'm an athlete, and even if I've done everything right, I know because of what we've seen from other athletes that people are going to assume the worst of me. So it's not even that I got mm-hmm. COVID that I'm nervous about. It's that I'm nervous about the potential PR fallout because of it. Sure. Makes sense. But Keep I think the, the, the more prevalent it becomes, and it's going to be, yeah. I think that stigma is going to lessen a little bit. And one other text is from the 636. Y'all are so petty over the Rams, LOL. Well, yeah, we are. (laughs) I was going to say, 100% petty. And proud of it. We are. But you know what? We're from the Lou. And we're proud. The last laugh, is though, is going to be ours. Don't you believe that? I believe that is going to be the case. And it's not even pettiness 100%. It's just right from wrong. You know, yes, the team left. And yes, we are angry. But it's the manner in which they left that still infuriates me to this day. And the manner in which they left is the mistake that the league made that is going to cost the league billions of dollars. Right. I mean, to... To people out there that are listening that think we're petty, okay, imagine if you're in a relationship and you're with someone for a really long time. Okay, you're a female. Heavily emotionally invested. Heavily emotionally invested. You guys are living together. You're engaged. And when you first meet your significant other, they're a babe, right? And then there's some rough years. Okay, they get dumpy. They lose their job. They're sitting on the couch playing Call of Duty the entire time. And you're like, I cannot believe you. You're terrible, but I love you. So I'm going to stick through this, okay? Mm -hmm. And then the entire time that you're sticking through them, they're talking to a hot blonde on the internet and they're telling you, no, babe, no, I am not doing this. I love you. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to improve myself and be better for you. Then you find out that indeed they've been talking to the hot blonde and not only that, they're leaving you for the hot blonde. Then they drop 20 pounds, become an Instagram model and have all this monetary success all the while laughing at you. You wouldn't want to stay with them. No. You would look at them the entire time and be like, I hope that relationship implodes. I hope they get fat again. You're never going to be like, wow, thank you for cheating on me with this hot person and leaving me and then becoming hot yourself. I support you. I'm really happy. And I hope you two crazy kids make it. You're never going to do that. It's the best analogy I've ever heard. Thank you, Randy. No one in their right mind would ever, if they were treated like that by their significant other, hope for their success in the future. Ever. And uh, one more from the 314. Get over it. It's Get been way too it. long. There you go. The uh, The issue here is that... Again, early next year, we are going to have a huge story here in St. Louis because a lawsuit is going to begin. And that's going to be a story that so you need to be ready for it because you're going to be hearing about it in St. Louis media every single day about what the Rams did and what the NFL did to St. Louis. It's not over until it's over. And this is not this is far from over. This is going to be so good, this lawsuit. It's been so good. It continues to be so good, but it is going to be juicy. Get your popcorn ready because this might be the first time and maybe even the last time that the NFL is really going to be held accountable for some of the really shady stuff that they've done. You know, I don't. As we sit in the front row of this, are we going to be able to bring popcorn? 
I don't know if courts allow popcorn. You know what? Or not. It might be like a movie theater where you could pre-make it at home, put it in a Ziploc bag, and shove it in your purse. I'll have a purse ready. Okay, good. We'll make sure that that's right, the way it is. Uh, that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. We always enjoy You're Killing Me, Smalls, and Michelle has some great items for us. You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, I've got a bunch of little media nuggets for you oh, today. Oh, I like media nuggets. This is gossipy. This is gossipy. So our old friend Jason Barrett, mm-hmm. uh, he runs Barrett Sports Media. He has a great website that curates a lot of media news. I just saw this headline, so I had to click on it. Jeff Fisher put out a tweet, hashtag Teaser Tuesday, coming soon, and then the eyeball emojis. And it's an animated kind of drawing of him with the headset. And then in the corner, it says, in the box with Jeff Fisher with two microphones next to it. So it looks like our old buddy Jeff Fisher is coming out with a podcast. I like this. I'm glad. And he'll be going head-to-head with one of his former players, Chris Long. I can't imagine that Fisher is going to be that good because he is kind of vanilla unless he starts saying something and he would never say anything when he was a coach here i don't know that that's going to be really compelling but i'm glad he's found something to do and has recognized that he's never going to coach in the nfl again or do you think he's using this podcast as a way to kind of make his case why he should be coming back to the nfl he may and we know there are stupid owners out there but we know, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker know, that the game has passed him by. And he still wants to be the 1985 Bears with running Walter Payton 400 times. And then play action is the only passing game you use. We learned in 1999 that the new NFL, you set up the run by throwing the ball. And here we are 21 years later, and Jeff Fisher at least from what we know, still hasn't figured that part of the game out. Right. Will you listen? No. I might. At least an episode or two. Jeff always seemed like a guy that you'd want to have a beer with. Like, he would be a great hang. Yeah, he'd tell you some stories, but you wouldn't know if they're true or not. Some tall tales? Yeah. I don't know. I might listen just to hear what it sounds like. But... I can't imagine I'm going to subscribe. I don't know. I don't want to know anything about a move. I don't know, I don't know anything about a stadium. I, don't, I never ask. That way I don't have to know. And then the day that they moved out there. Oh, we've been working on this stadium for a year, and it is off the charts. This, this stadium has the wow factor. So you never asked about it, though. You think he's going to be involved in the lawsuit? Not in a way that's positive for him. That's what I'm saying. You think they're going to call him? I would. Yes, I think that there's a very good chance that he'll be deposed. Do you think he could be the guy? He knows where all the bones are buried. Don't you think? Um. Yeah, but I, I think that he'll try to... He still has that irrational belief that he's going to coach again in the league. Yeah, good point. I don't think that he wants to do anything to hurt those zero chances. So he's going to protect the shield? Yeah, I think... Every, everything that the St. Louis lawsuit needs, from what I've observed, 
they've done to themselves on video. It's very, very easy. I don't think they, I think they want to d- get depositions. But I think they could win a case just with the video that's out there. It's going to be fun. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, another media story for you, Randy. Don Venata, great journalist mm-hmm. at ESPN, he is working on a new series for ESPN. It's called Backstory. Yeah. The subject of ESPN's Backstory, Manti Teo. And the catfishing incident that we all remember during his time at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Well, number one, uh, I feel for him lo- in losing his girlfriend, Manti. Lene Kukua. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. Her and uh, her entire family. Uh, we're thinking of you, yeah. Lene and Manti. I think this is a really compelling story. I've here, Here's a, a smart guy who was totally taken in and it wound up being a guy, right? Yes. That That kind of knew him tangentially, right? Yeah. I think this will be really cool to revisit and just get the whole start to finish story. Do we know if Manti Teo is participating? I don't. That would be even better if you could get him to participate. But that's a great story. I thought Don Vandana's piece last week on LeBron, on the decision. Did you watch that Sunday? Yes. That was really good. Really good. Well, it, he and Seth Wickershams, are as, they're as good as it gets. Yeah. They're amazing. This one, Mantateo, it's called Too Good to Check, and it's going to be airing this fall. All right. I'll be tuned in. You're killing me, Small. Okay, last piece of media news for you, Randy. ESPN's going to relaunch NFL Live. They have a, a completely new cast. The new host is Laura Rutledge. The analyst will be Marcus Spears, Dan Orlovsky, Mina Kimes, and Keyshawn Johnson. All great. But if Trey leaves radio, what's he, what's Trey Wingo going to do? It's a good question. I don't know. But I think I think Laura Rutledge is very talented. She's great. And I like that group of analysts. And I'm and we talked about you and your motivation, part of your motivation being uh, Melissa Stark. And I think one of the cool things now that we're seeing is that there was a time there where female sports reporters and analysts were the bubbleheads, right? Yeah. Mia Kimes knows football a lot. Laura Rutledge knows football a lot. You know sports a lot. To see women that are real, true sports fans get opportunities like that really heartens me. Mina Kimes can break down a game or a scheme better than anyone. Yeah, she's great. She's absolutely, and she's entertaining. She's funny. She's so well spoken. She is a star. Yeah, and by the way, I wonder if they're going to keep. Uh, who was the other host? Uh, she'd been there for a long time. Wendy Nix. No, not uh, well. I wonder where she'll be. But she did Monday Night Countdown. Um, I can't believe I don't remember her name. Short, uh, dark hair. She's oh, been there forever. Uh, Susie Colbert. Susie, yeah. I wonder if she'll still be. I guess you need more than just one host for NFL Live. I'm I'm sure that they'll they're kind of repositioning a lot of people's jobs there right yeah. now. But I really like this group. I think I do that. Too. There's a lot of per- personality. I love Marcus Spears. Dan Orlovsky is really great. Keyshawn's going to bring a different mm-hmm. look. We we obviously said we love Laura and Mina. And I, I think they're going to provide a different energy to that yeah. show. One other media question I have. I was wondering, with Keyshawn making the move, you know, DeMarco has filled in when they have had uh, a need at ESPN in L.A. for the morning show. Uh, we'll have to text DeMarco and ask if he has a shot at uh, replacing Keyshawn there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
We haven't talked to Steve Farr in a while. we got to get him on the show. Yeah, ho- hopefully he's doing well. Yeah, I'm sure he is. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. That's uh, your media version of You're Killing Me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head to the Air Comf- or the uh, Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Jeremy Rutherford, our blues insider from The Athletic, is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Michelle and Randy on this 1st of July as we get ready for hockey here in St. Louis. Our Blues insider from The Athletic is Jeremy Rutherford, and he is on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Uh, JR, we don't say that very often, getting ready for hockey on July 1st. Usually today, guys, we'd be talking about the start of free agency. Who are the Blues going to sign? Right. It's a much different year. And they're, next free agent period, they aren't signing anybody. I guarantee it. <laughs> guarantee it. Who knows when it'll be, right? And yeah, no uh, you hope they sign somebody if uh, Petrangelo's in that group. Yeah, right. Well, uh, from the outside, let me qualify this. They aren't going to sign anybody from the outside. I got gotcha. you. So, JR, we've been reading a lot of the updates, and uh, Bob McKenzie tweeted not that long ago that, barring any last-minute complications, it seems that the two NHL hub city, cities will be Edmonton and Toronto. Do you have any insight as to why the NHL decided to head to Canada? Yeah, that's kind of uh, different than what we've been hearing from the past couple of weeks. And even as of uh, yesterday, a couple of days ago, uh, Vegas was still in the mix, but the rise in numbers, and specifically, Michelle, among the hotel workers, the casino employees, um, and with the hotel workers, some who might have been part of that uh, bubble, uh, they've decided against Vegas. So uh, as it looks today, and this all still needs to be ratified by the players and then also by the league, uh, it looks as though it will be Toronto and Edmonton. And multiple reports today that not only have they agreed on a return to play, but the union and the league, but also a new CBA. Do you sense any uh, reluctance on the part of either side to ratify it? I I don't think so. I think that there's some language built into it that is going to be an opt-out for the players uh, in terms of if they don't want to return this season. We've seen some players in Major League Baseball do that already. You know, I've heard some hockey players uh, come out and say that hockey is a different culture. They can't imagine any hockey players deciding not to return for this thing. But, you know, you would think there might be uh, one or two because uh, the players did fight for that language in the uh, in the CBA. So uh, I think that uh, what we'll see in the next couple of days, all the details uh, will come out. Uh, but in terms of a vote, I think that'll be uh, probably a couple of days away. And then uh, we could see this thing ratified uh, potentially over the weekend. Jared, is a different culture in hockey. I mean, you have severe injuries and people are still playing or it's an upper body day to day. How different do you think it's going to be for hockey players specifically, especially if someone tests and they're asymptomatic to really have to shut it down because of this virus? Yeah, I just think it's it's going to be something to watch. That's all I can say. And, and that's not just uh, hockey. That's, uh, you know, the other sports as well. But, you know, hockey, it's a contact sport, and you're talking about uh, asymptomatic people in terms of uh, the disease, and, you know, can they pass it along, and, you know, are we going to get into a situation where all of a sudden we see two and three and four uh, Blues players or players from other teams, uh, they can't play, they're not on the practice ice, is the team calling it an injury, quote-unquote injury, or are they calling it a a COVID case? You know, that remains to be seen. Uh, I just think that 
you know, some of these players, they're aware of uh, the issues. And a lot of them, honestly, speaking to a lot of them, don't want to return to play. But I think they're part of that culture, as you just mm. touched on, Michelle, that, hey, if this league's going to come back, we're going to be there for our teammates and we're going to take the risk and play. There was a report that 75% of players don't want to play. From the players that you've talked to, do you get anything? Do, have you put together a percentage that do or don't want to play? Yeah, not necessarily a percentage. I would think that, uh, you, you know, a number of the players that I talked to were, you know, fairly opinionated on, on, you know, like I said, that they don't want to play, but it's such a small sample size that it'd be tough to say it's a, a certain percentage of the players. JR, I want to go back for a second to the hub cities because with what's happening in the United States right now, I know Gary Bettman had talked about the possibility of the finals and uh, the, the semifinals perhaps being played in home cities. I wonder if that's changed now, if we're going to see everything that happens occur in Edmonton and Toronto, and if there's any chance of North American, well, not North American, but American cities hosting the, the semifinals or the finals. Yeah, that's kind of flip-flopped over the past couple of months. You're right. Uh, Gary Bettman did say at one point, hey, maybe start out in the hub cities, and then once you get down to the semifinals, you could bounce back and forth between the home cities. But I think they've kind of abandoned that idea, and I think especially with uh, the wave and the increase in cases, you'll see them stick to these hub cities. They've done so much homework, Randy, and due diligence on you know where they're going to play. And, and look, Vegas was a front-runner a couple of days ago, and, and now they're out in favor of Edmonton because of the low number of COVID cases. So I just can't imagine imagine that you get down to the final two or final four and you know now all of a sudden you're bouncing around from st louis to boston like they uh traditionally do and how about this guys toronto being one of the hub cities somebody pointed out on the uh, world wide web today that the stanley cup could be won in toronto and what would that be like if it were uh, you know the canadians <laughs> or somebody else that, oh man that wasted the cup in toronto oh wow that'd be crazy uh, <laughs> jr i know that uh, a lot of different shows on the station have uh, spoken to you about your piece about justin falk that's up at the athletic everyone should go read it where he comes out and he's he was very candid with you about how he didn't play that well etc do you think maybe even a little bit of it uh moving forward everybody was off everybody's kind of starting from stage zero from ground zero here do you think that, that might benefit him when the blues return play yeah, I think so. I'm, I think everybody's going to be rusty. The guy that I think it benefits the most is uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. I've touched on that with you guys in terms of he was going to step into a lineup where everybody was up and running and, and he was going to be rusty. Now I think that evens the playing field a little bit with him. Uh, so with Justin Falk, yeah, everybody's going to come in and, and, and start fresh. But I think, you know, in talking to him, Michelle, it was just those last 10 or 12 games, he really felt like he was playing well. So, yeah, three months off, three and a half months off, it's going to be hard, you know, for him to, to pick up and, and play uh, like he was. But uh, what he told me was uh, just the fact that he's going to be so much more comfortable coming into the environment this time around as opposed to uh, when he showed up for training camp or early part of the season when that trade was made last year. And I would think something as simple as we think it's simple, moving to the left side when you spend your career on the right side, that's got to be really a tough adjustment. Yeah, and, you know, when we uh, spoke about that, he, he didn't want to make any excuses, but he said, look, I, I had to talk to the coaches about that. I hadn't played since college on the left side, and, and he said uh, clearly it didn't, uh, you know, happen overnight in terms of any sort of chemistry with Alex Petrangelo, but he felt like as they did it more often, he felt more comfortable on that left side. I can't imagine for a nine-year veteran in the league, a three-time All-Star, that you know he would want his future to be on the left side. I think he was doing what the team needed, and uh, now the Blues are just going to have to sort through that. Jerry, you, you may not have an answer to, to this, but have you gotten any insight into whether you'll be going to one of the hub cities or how the media setup's going to work there? 
Yeah, actually, just a little bit of speculation on that today, talking with uh, some of the athletic writers. Um, there was a chance, I think, that if uh, it was in Vegas or another uh, American city, that they were going to have some uh, media credentials and potentially a small group group of us uh, could go cover it. But now the fact that it's in Canada, the word from the league is is that they might not have any, uh, you know, media availability for U.S. reporters. So I don't know if it's in Edmonton, if it's in Toronto, if we're going to be able to attend, but uh, certainly do our best to cover it from all angles, just might not have the access that we're used to. Finally, JR, 4th of July weekend, what is the top (laughs) of the power rankings for Jeremy Rutherford's favorite Fourth of July barbecue food. Oh man, it's got to be. You know what? In the past couple of years, because you know you grow up and you're a brat guy, or you know you're a, a pork steak guy, or whatever. And I'll stick by those. But the more I have uh, brisket, it you know it just melts in your mouth. These places that do it around town, some of these places are just phenomenal. And you know I don't have the patience to do what they do in, in terms of leaving it cooked for hours and hours and hours. But I certainly have the patience to sit at the table and wait for it to be done. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, enjoy your Fourth of July weekend. We always. Enjoy Enjoy talking to you, and we'll talk to you again next week. You guys, too. Thanks a lot. Thanks, JR. Jeremy Rutherford, he's our Blues Insider from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Have you ever done a brisket? I've never made a brisket, no. I need to. You should. Yeah. Well, I'm the only person in my family that eats red meat, so if I did it, I would have to have oh, you yeah. and Tanner and Mike Ryder and Danny Mac. Uh, we'll, we'll have to share it. I, don't, I can do that. That's no problem. And brisket, low and slow, right? Very low and very slow, yeah. And it winds up being awesome. And he's right. The people in town that do it at restaurants, uh, whether it's our friends at uh, Bandanas or our, our Sugar Fire friends, Pappies, everybody in St. Louis, because St. Louis barbecue is the best. The best. Uh, they do a magnificent job of it. And that place that we went to it uh, in Soulard. Bogarts? Yeah, that's fantastic brisket, really too. Good. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're going to cross things over with Danny Mack as we head towards Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. With Danny Mac coming up here on this Wednesday on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin, the voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest, joins us here in studio as he does every day, getting ready for the show. And it's always good to see you. Have you stopped by? I tell you what, uh, getting ready is. It's just not easy for me when I get in the studio, getting the chair right. You can hear me fumbling headsets, trying to figure out the L and the R because I can't see the L or the R. You should be happy that you have good. Do you wear contacts? No. Man, I miss those days. I don't wear contacts. I have my readers now, and I even brought them in, and I didn't wear them on my... It just, it's tough, man. I had Dang. one time. I, I got uh, LASIK for whatever it is, nearsightedness, so that oh. I didn't have to wear... Uh, reading glasses, glasses that are in the top of your head that yeah. don't help. <laughs> but, but it wore off in like three years. Oh, the, the LASIK wore off, so I had to go back to reading glasses. Yeah, I need them. I, I I don't know if I told the story on the air. I think it was before we went on the air. So I'm sitting having a coffee with my brother. We're going over something. He's a lawyer, and just, so don't hold it against him. Mm-hmm. And for all you lawyers out there, you're good people. He's a great guy, great guy. And um, he said, "What what are you doing with your phone?" I said, "What do you mean?" And my arm was outstretched about as far as you can. <laughs> get it and i'm trying to read something he said what are you doing and i said and it was christmas like two years ago around that time 
And I said, well, I'm reading, you know, something on my phone. He said, no, that, that's your, your, he goes, put your phone close to your face. And I did. And I said, oh, I can't read. I said, that's something's not, I not going well here. And then we went to something at Christmas and I tried to read a menu and I couldn't read. And then, you know, it's time to probably get glasses. And my kids make fun of me because I'm having trouble hearing too. I'm worried about that because we wear headphones yeah. every day. Yeah. Uh, I'm people concerned. are talking to me and I'm like, huh? Say that again? What? Well, I'm concerned because when I was doing the blues and they had me ringside, I'm dead serious about this. I would pipe in, you know, you wear the IFB and so you put the thing in your ear and I would wear it on both sides and I would have it all the way turned up so I could hear it if they came down to me for a ringside report mm-hmm. or or just to hear the game, just to hear the play-by-play and what the guys are talking about. So I would have that thing turned up all the way and you hear an old baby or John Kelly going, oh, you know, nuts and it's going to blow out your, your ears. So I think I've I got maybe some hearing things going on here. Oh, man. That's not good. I, I definitely have hearing things too. I just want you guys to know that oh, uh, my gosh. Here, this is, here's my count. life. It's one, two, three, four. That's five in your bag, Randy. But I just pulled out of my bag. Yeah. yeah. And I, I had no idea how many were in there. And the same thing around the house. I, because I always lose reading glasses, and they always get found somewhere. Help, help me out here. Um, so when I walk into Walgreens, I think people are looking at me funny because I don't know the answer to this. And I do try to be honest on the air for the most part. So I go to the reading glass, the, what, what are you, the readers, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they all the same? No, you've got like, uh, okay. you can have like plus one and a half, plus right. two, plus two and a half, plus three. The weaker your eyes get, the stronger the glasses you need. Okay. Two points here. Number one, the uh, reading glasses with the lights on them, they have them at Walgreens. Are I, don't, great. I don't use those. Uh, okay. Uh, but they're great because you, you just click a couple of switches. And I used to use them for our pregame show for the Rams because oh, they turn yeah, the lights off at the dome. for the booth. That. That's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. So, they, yeah. uh, so they've got little like spotlights. The other thing for regular reading glasses, I'm a veteran of the industry now. Dollar store. Dollar store reading oh, glasses. Yeah. You know what? We are getting old. Not yep. Michelle, but you and I. Because Tanner, Tanner is hidden behind two uh, computers. Over, and he's trying not to laugh. Look at him. <laughs> trying not to laugh over there. Yep. Making fun of us. Five pair reading glasses. Go ahead, Tanner. Life. You can laugh at us. It's fine. I'm not going to make fun of you guys. It's okay. Now, I'll make fun of my parents because they have reading glasses. Oh, yeah. oh, so I could be, no. you can be my son, huh? No. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> Dan, I've always looked up to you when you've been calling Cardinals oh, baseball. Oh, shut up. Don't even start <laughs> kissing my butt like that. Stop it. It's okay. You can laugh. We're falling apart. All of us are. Well, so, yeah, we're getting old. It's so, okay, Tanner. I'm so just giving you trouble. We, we asked JR, and if you want, you can have 24 hours to think about this. Yeah. What is your favorite, the top of the Dan McLaughlin Power Rankings for 4th of July foods for the barbecue? Oh, ribs, man. It is ribs? Yeah, got to go ribs. Yeah, again, Even, another low and slow cooking. Yeah, what do you, uh, when you do ribs? I know you're like mm-hmm. the master of this stuff, Michelle. Are you a barbecue guy? Well, I guess I can't say guy. I guess say lady. Okay. Uh, I consume. I do not prepare. Okay. Yeah, I've never. So, what do you like? Uh, I love ribs. Love a good burger on the grill. Mm-hmm. Brats. Really, Dan, I don't discriminate. Pork steaks, regular steaks. If you want to grill up some chicken, hot I, dogs. Hot dogs. Yeah, good hot dog is. See, I miss a ballpark hot dog. I was just going to say, I don't like a hot dog anywhere other than a stadium. Yeah. I really do miss a... You know who loves a ballpark hot dog? Who? I mean, he goes nuts over it. McCarver. Really? He <laughs> goes wild over a ballpark hot dog. I love a ballpark hot dog. I mean, will you get me one, Dan? Are you going <laughs> out there? 
Yeah, put a little mustard on it. Um, so I would I would go with ribs. When you do your ribs, so if you're not the the maker, Michelle, so I, I got to defer to Randy okay. on this one. Sure. So do you do like 200, uh, about five and a half, six hours? There you go. Bingo. Okay. You hit it right on the head. That's exactly what I do. Are you doing uh, green egg or are you doing, what are you doing? Uh, I have not yet done ribs on the Traeger. So normally what I've done is uh, I've got a Weber gas grill and then the Traeger pellet grill. But the Weber gas grill, I have wood chips. Okay. So I'll go with like, like a hickory smoke and go that direction. And uh, the hickory is a, it's a good combo with ribs for me. And then overnight, uh, you, you you let them sit in something overnight? What do you do? Yeah, you can marinate them. And so, there, there are so many great ways to marinate and I don't like to get exotic like with uh, orange juice and stuff like that. Yeah. That's a good one. So I, I'm I'm pretty basic with uh, my marinade for ribs. I see a lot of apple juice like right. midway through. A lot of people do that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I always, I try different things. Either way, it's going down, baby. That's <laughs> One way or another, it's going down. You know what I don't like about ribs is you have to uh, rip that membrane off the back. I like to yeah. buy ribs where that rib membrane is already I don't mess off. with it. I go to the butcher. Yeah, that's I the way said, to do it. Please, sir, can you help me out? And we'll talk baseball. It's all good. And you, me well, out. And you go to that butcher at Schnooks. Man, they know what they're doing. They're yeah, the best. That's a nice plug for Schnooks. Yeah. And then you got to go to the bakery. I wouldn't even think of that. Yeah, of course you weren't, Randy. It was all about getting the membrane off well, the ribs. And having the best service and the best products available. Right. And you walk in and they, you know, friendly store in town, yeah. of course. Stop by that bakery at Schnooks, too. It's the best bakery in the world. I mentioned that already. And you got to get cookies. Various things that they have. At my house, you get the uh, product. They, they've got <laughs> red velvet cake that is exquisite. And I'm not Ooh. the red velvet cake person in my Love house. Velvet, Joan uh, is the red, red velvet, velvet cake. Yeah. They're, uh, it, it's to die for. It really is good. Having issues with Doug right now. Uh, Doug's a dog. Yeah. He's had uh, diarrhea the last uh, four days. Oh, Doug. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's really had uh, caused a lot of consternation in the... Uh, uh, you're making consternation, you, not constipation. Consternation. <laughs> I wish it was constipation <laughs> yeah. because you mentioned the dessert, and yesterday I found Doug. So we had some. Um, uh, Libby ordered some, ironically, some food from Schnucks, mm -hmm. and uh, so she, we were running all over the place with the kids, and she brought it in, and Doug got out, and Doug got into. Um, some of the peanut M&M's, there was a bag there. Mm. He had diarrhea, and then oh he my. got into the peanut M&M's. Colorful. It was. It was, uh, it's been tough. Yeah, we're having a, we're, we're not on a hot streak, I can tell you that. Or no. are you? No. Well, so, he is. <laughs> That's for sure. So if you just go with, like, some rice and bland chicken. Uh, for is that going to help him? That will help him. Yeah, that'll help so the how do I, digestive system. As a guy that prepares a lot of food, how do I prepare the bland chicken? Do uh, I, take, you, do I put just, it on the grill for just, him or what? You can just put it on the grill. Just don't spice it. Oh, well, obviously. Yeah. So, okay. and, and with some white rice, and that'll hopefully help him out. You know, the thing I'm going to talk about on my show, I don't know if you guys agree with this. I was thinking about this last night. Is this the biggest month in North American professional sports or even sports history? It's July 1st. Yeah, I think it has to be, yeah. right? I like, would, this I is would the month yes. we have all been pointing towards, right? Yeah. 
This is it. Right? Yeah. I think it is. I also think whatever happens this month could have major long-term implications. That's the second part I was going to talk about. So we've all been waiting for sports to come back. This is everything we've been, to- you know, okay, the NBA's got this date. The NHL's got this date. MLB is back. You know, we're doing boom, 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 boom. Okay. What happens if it all comes crashing down? Now what? I mean, can you imagine the... The fallout on all of it be devastating. Uh, it, it is. And, and I, I just on so many levels. We we look at it personally from this level, right? Yep. Sports talk radio, but uh, whether it's the media or broadcasters that sure. are doing games or the sports themselves and the people that consume sports and the the stores like Rally House, uh, this has so many tentacles. If it doesn't work and there is no sports, it can be really devastating. I really believe it's the biggest month and maybe i don't know if i'm overstating it i i we get to be at times overly dramatic about things but i I do think it might be the biggest month in the history of of sports because if it goes off you survive right you're Mm -hmm. the nba you're the nhl you you get through it you find a way to get through it you get to let's say december next year your mlb you got through it wasn't pretty you get through it to spring training your college football somehow some way you get through it through next fall and, you know, knock on wood, pray to God, you get through to a vaccine, your pro football, you somehow you play, you get through it next year, same thing. And if it doesn't work, oh my goodness. And that is the, like Michelle said, that is the question, what happens then? And no one is really talking about that. We've always been, at least me, I've been focused on, let's get to this point, these dates to try to make it work. But if it doesn't, oh my goodness. And I'm interested to see what doesn't work looks like. Because here's the NBA forging ahead with multiple positive tests. Here's Major League Baseball forging ahead. So I think doesn't work looks a lot different now than it did three months ago. Yes, and it, it, that's the other thing, too. So as we were talking, I was, I was also thinking, I said to Randy and, and you, Michelle, yesterday, like my show has kind of been, all right, here it is. Okay, labor agreement, this, that, and the other. I got to get more creative. Well, now it's all so fluid. Everything is changing. Like the NBA is changing now, literally, as we're getting closer, it's now crunch time. Mm-hmm. Here we go. We've got to do this thing. The NHL, same thing. Now they're putting out, okay, we had, what, 15 positive tests. Okay, MLB, there was a Cardinal that tested positive. There was uh, seven Phillies. What's the breaking point of what a team can handle or the competitive nature of the sport? All of them are going to have to answer that as we go forward. Um, That's the other aspect of this. Like, At what point is a breaking point when the virus is moving as quickly as it is? And... Uh, you know, like Arizona, what what they announced last night, I think it was their governor saying, okay, you can't come together with groups of 50 or more, right. and they're shutting down schools. Well, what does that mean for these sports? I, I just think it's so fluid, and it changes day by day. It's just, it's it's sad, first and foremost, and what's going on in our society, minus sports, but then the impact that it has on sports. So it's just... It's it's just uh, it's really fascinating what's going on. It's amazing. It Looking is. forward to scoops with Danny Mac. All right, guys, we're gonna have Brian Walton on. Um, I know you guys want to get out of here. B Dub. I am. Do you ever call him B Dub? Uh, one time I did, okay. and he. I think he was thinking I was ordering chicken wings. Oh, okay. But he, you know, he's such an interesting guy. His his background is in the business world, world. and then he got into. Just his love and his passion of baseball, which led him to um, minor league baseball. I, I'm such a baseball fan, which is where 
uh, my passion for sports always was. Yesterday, I knew it was coming. I think anybody that follows sports and baseball knew it was coming. But when you finally got the word that the minor league season had been canceled, Mm -hmm. that was a sad day in baseball. And when they do come back, there's going to be 40 fewer teams and organizations. And those are... Those are family-run businesses. So that's different in a way than what you're seeing in, in Major League Baseball. And that's those are communities, too, that rely on ticket sales and not television contracts. So how that entity of sports comes back is, I, I don't know. I, I think, and, and then the players that have those dreams of playing. Right. You know, that it just... It's really sad, you know that that one hit me a little bit last night. So we'll we'll talk more about that coming up on the show. Always great to talk to you, sir. Thank you, and great job yesterday, Randy. That was that was a lot of fun to do that, and thanks for doing uh, it. Anytime, I enjoyed it immensely too, and I'm glad that the listeners did too. Yeah, it was a great response. So thank you, thanks, guys. Uh, great job today by our producer engineer Tanner Hendrickson. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We we love you, even though you're a Rams fan. Totally. And uh, you make fun of us for being old. Yeah, that's true. Jeez. Great job, Michelle, as always. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow. And thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of this show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.